episode of Short Box Summary. I'm your host, George, and this is a big episode. This is probably going to be a long one as I sit down to uh, to record this. We're at House of M. This is the first real big event that I think sets a stage for this entire era of Marvel. It started all the way back in Avengers Disassembled when Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch first took over the title. And this is... I guess, like, the first domino to really, really fall in, in the story they're telling after they kicked it off there. And I tried to do something different. I am doing a solo pod for the first half where I summarize in excruciating detail House of M from issues 1 through 8, including a little bit of the prelude that happens and a special bonus episode, or sorry, bonus issue, rather, that happened in the middle that I just think is too cool to not talk about. And then it is just Guestapalooza on this show. We've got returning to Shortbox Summer. We've got Aaliyah, my lovely girlfriend. We've got indie comic writer Anthony Stokes. We've got indie comic author and, uh, and, and artist Richard Fairgray. We've got Colin coming back from the movie podcast. And we've got Amaya and JoJo, two of the biggest comic fans I am friends with on Twitter. They stop by and we do sort of quick shot round table uh, no, that's not right. It's not a roundtable because it's one-on-one, just little mini conversations about House of M. So roundtable is a little... That, that's not accurate. I'm sorry I said that. Uh, but it's uh, trying something new for these big events where I just get a whole bunch of opinions from a whole bunch of people who I respect and honestly just fucking love talking to. So last episode set the stage for House of M. We talked about the music with Aaliyah in the movies with Colin that were coming out the summer of 2005 and a little bit outside the summer just because, you know, not all good pop-punk music comes out in the summer, but that's, yeah, what can you do? And so I, I took a look on, uh, on Marvel Fandom Wiki and uh, I double-checked release dates. And so House of M uh, first came out, issue one came out June 1st, 2005, and the last issue... House of M number 8 came out November 2nd, 2005. So during that window, I checked out release dates for other books. And here, here's, a, here's a list. Uh, we got Secret War from the Files of Nick Fury, issue 1. We talked about that on episode 5 of Shortbox Summer. We've got Sentinel by Sean McKeever. Talked about that with Sean McKeever on episode 10. Please go back and check that out. That was a really cool conversation. We've got Spider-Man The Other coming out. We talked about that on episodes 35 and 36 with our good friend Carlos. We've got Captain America Winter Soldier. That was covered in episode 27 of Shortbox. We've got New Avengers 12 and New Avengers The Century. When uh, That's like dealing with Bob Reynolds and, and when they go off to Japan and fight uh, Madame Mask and Madame Hydra and shit. That was covered in episode 16 and 19 with Aaliyah. We've got the Young Avengers, uh, the sidekick story, and the, the conclusion to the Kang story. We covered that in episode 28, and, uh, and then another episode, did that with Austin and Elijah, two friends that I do frame skip a video game podcast with. Uh, let's see, Gravity was coming out, also covered that on episode 10 with Sean McKeever. Wolverine, Enemy of the State, covered that on episodes 29 and the follow-up. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. on 33 with uh, good friends from The Last Comic Shop. Spider-Man New Avenger covered that on episode 26 with Aaliyah. The Pulse covered that on episode 9. I think that was like the fallout from uh, from Nick Fury's Secret War, the aforementioned episode. 
Mary Jane Homecoming, another small miniseries that I uh, I quite enjoy and got to talk about with the uh, with the writer Sean McKeever on episode ten, and some more books that I just remember seeing on shelves at this time and just left an impact on me. Got Ultimates two from Mark Millar and Brian Hitch. We've got Great Lakes Avengers, a fun little miniseries from Dan Slott and I think Paul Pelletier. We've got Last Hero Standing, Last Planet Standing, Machine Teen, Spider-Man Human Torch, and New X-Men Hellions. So, it took a while to get here, but all those books were coming out concurrently because, as we know, comics uh, happening simultaneously. There's no such thing as linearity when it comes to comics, but we do our best here to... uh, to straighten that for you and make it a little bit more clear. But yeah, go back and check out those episodes if you want to know what else was happening. But uh, we're here. Technically more than 50 episodes, but I tried to uh, finagle the numbers a little bit to make it so we hit House of M with episode 50. And before we get to House of M, uh, there's technically a House of M prelude that happens. And so we're going to talk about that for just like a half half quick half second but i'm gonna take a quick break but you won't know because i'm gonna be back in a flash and look at that back already it's like i wasn't even gone all right so we're gonna talk about the prelude to house of m which took place in a book called excalibur starting in issue 13 it was written by chris claremont penciled by aaron lepresti inked by greg adams lettered by tom orzachowski and colored by avalon's rob rowe and this is listed as a tie-in slash prelude, but that's pretty generous. In the ongoing, there was a new white queen of the Hellfire Club who tried to pull off a heist where she bought the nation of Zanzibar. Uh, and anyways, what we care about in the last three pages of the issue, Professor Xavier sends his astral projection to Greenwich Village, specifically to the home of Doctor Strange. After explaining what was plaguing Wanda isn't just a matter of the mind, but a matter of spirit, and enlist his help in saving the poor girl after her breakdown that killed several of her Avengers teammates and Avengers disassembled. Now again, we covered that way back in episode one? Episode two? I think technically two, because I think the first episode is like a, a trailer where I just wanted people to get a subscription link. But real episode one was Avengers disassembled. Cover that with Fabio. Fabio's coming to hang out with me this weekend. I'm really excited. Anyways, um, the, the real tie-in, I guess, is, is the next issue. It's issue 14. This was written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Aaron Lepresti, inked by uh, Adams, uh, Ratman, and Vincata, lettered by Tom Orzachowski, and colored by Avalon's Rob Rowe. Uh, this came out May 25th, just two weeks after issue 13 in 2005. And uh, this one's a bit deeper. We jump into Charles's mind, reliving memories from his time in probably the Korean War. It's never really explained. Wolverine is there, so I guess they fought together along with the man that would go on to father Kitty Pride. so that's pretty neat. Anyways, Wanda is hiding here as a figment of his imagination, and Doctor Strange is playing therapist to Charles, who's both guilty and worried about not being strong enough to help Wanda. Charles's post in war is to go behind enemy lines and rescue people, but he's called in for a new mission by people who bear striking resemblances to Nick Fury and Scott Summers to search and destroy two dangerous people known as Magneto and Wanda. On the hunt, Doctor Strange is confronted by the Dread Dormammu, his greatest enemy, and Charles by Gabby Holler, his greatest shame, a woman he manipulated telepathically to care for him. Also the woman he'd have a child with who causes the Age of Apocalypse timeline, but we don't have the time to get into all that, maybe on a later episode. If you feel like going back to 95, which, I don't know, we might. 
we might sooner than later. We'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Anyways, Charles gets pulled through all these trials of his character and demons from his past until he's finally face to face with Magneto, or Wanda's interpretation of Magneto, that's never really explained, and they talk about what would be best for Wanda, and Magneto feels like it's his death when Charles tells him that it's not about him, it's about her and what she wants. The journey ends and Xavier is back with Doctor Strange where his psychic exploration began, and he ends it with this quote. Some of us hold on to guilt and shame for too long. There's a strange security and misery. It's almost comfortable. Taking the risk of moving on, that's terrifying. Applies to Eric, that's Magneto. Applies to me. For Eric, it's always been about family. Building a world where he can be safe, where he never need again feel afraid. It always gets twisted because a child in him can't escape those nightmares and wants revenge. The force that drives them both is love. Yet they fear, they strive for an ideal. Combine their power with passion, anything is possible, even redemption. So this is a comic book time, like I said, in, in the loosest, most generous of terms. It's it, it really feels like a comic book, like this feels like a cartoon book. And uh, it's just so interesting that this is considered a prelude to House of M because thematically, I don't think it really fits. Uh, visually, it really doesn't fit. And uh, it kind of just seemed like a nod to Chris Claremont's importance with mutants at large at Marvel. And all of his contributions. I mean, this dude wrote X-Men forever. He's considered a legend. I really like his, his work, but I am uh, not um, the most eager to go back and reread it. But I will give him credit for uh, continuing a story and not just rehashing. Like, you know, he, he put his pla flag in the ground and just, like, kept moving the story forward. And, um... You know, wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't rehash stuff. So a big big fan of that. However, man, those early issues. It's like better than Nyquil, man. Shit just knocks me out. Anyways, House of M issue one releases June first, two thousand five. It is written by Brian Michael Bendis. It is penciled by Olivier Capel. It is inked by Tim Townsend. It is colored by Frank Darmada. It is lettered by Chris Eliopoulos, and it is produced by James, uh, sorry, James Tavares. I don't know what produced means. I assume because this is still relatively early on in digital coloring and acquiring assets, and because I think Olivier Covell was living in, in Paris at the time. I, I don't know what production means by James Tavares, but had to read it because I think that's just a really interesting credit. Anyways, this issue opens and Wanda is giving birth to her twins along with her husband Vision, surrounded by Avengers all celebrating the new family, when a cold voice from the background tells her to put reality back to the way it was now. The world dissipates and a broken Wanda has a lucid moment, remembering that she killed her friends, her teammates, and even her husband back in Avengers Disassembled. Again, covered at the very beginning of the show, so scroll back in the feed if you need a refresher of that huge monumentous event. Also, it's a good episode, because Fabio's on it. And like I said, I love Fabio. I can't wait to see him in, like, 18 hours. It's going to be amazing. Whew. Anyways, Xavier tells Magneto in private that progress is slow, but it is happening. And a broken Magneto uses his powers to walk through the decimated skyline of his one-time mutant utopian city known as Genosha. Back in NYC, Carol Danvers, Simon Williams, and Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, Wonder Man, and the Falcon, at this point in time anyway, meet at the new Avengers Tower in Manhattan on top of Stark Tower, joking about how they weren't invited to this new team and maybe they're getting called in for an apology. 
the Astonishing X-Men, which another team we covered on this episode, or sorry, on this show with, with Sean. Great Sean Anella. Thank you, Sean, for always coming on to talk about X stuff with me. Um, you're going to get a lot more phone calls in the near future as we jump into X stuff after this. Anyways, uh, check out those episodes, too, if you're curious about the Astonishing X-Men. But this lineup includes Beast, Amifrost, Cyclops, Wolverine, Kitty Pride, and Colossus. They land on the roof of Avengers Tower and are called into a meeting led by the new Avengers and Charles Xavier, along with longtime Avengers Yellow Jacket and Wasp, who's like the original Ant-Man. It's like the... It's a whole to-do. They weren't Avengers at this point, anyway. They're there to decide the fate of Wanda Maximoff. Back in Genosha, Wanda's twin brother Quicksilver returns from New York in the blink of an eye to tell Magneto that they intend to kill his sister, and begs a defeated and exasperated Magneto to do something about it. The two teams discuss what needs to be done, with more pragmatic characters like Emma Frost and Wolverine arguing to kill her, and more idealistic and sentimental characters like Cast America and, um... God, I wrote Wonder Woman. Um, that is not who I meant. <laughs> I'm guessing Captain Marvel. Uh, arguing against it. Emma sums up in her point, quote, If word got out that the witch was responsible for what happened to the Avengers, that a mutant killed the beloved heroes of the city, if the world found out that an out-of-control mutant with reality-altering powers was out there somewhere with a screw loose, it would set mutant-human relations back to the Stone Age. That would be it for us. The two teams are at an impasse and decide to ask Wanda what she wants. They fly together to Genosha and can't find any trace of her, assuming that Magneto has hidden her somewhere when Emma is able to locate them psychically in an old church. They enter apprehensively when Spider-Man's Spider-Sense catches his attention and he looks to the left. He sees an approaching white light that's all-encompassing. The next page has Peter woken up by the crying screams of a baby and his wife reminds him that it's his turn to check on them. Peter begrudgingly gets out of bed, which, <laughs> next to which has a photograph on the nightstand showing him marrying a blonde woman that longtime readers will recognize as Gwen Stacy, the first true love of his life, who died at the hands of Green Goblin all the way back in Amazing Spider-Man 121. And that is the end of issue one. Um, does a great job of setting up a strange new world. Kind of, kind of almost wish we got more than two pages of it, but what a tease. And thankfully that tease, uh, was answered pretty quickly. Uh, I think three weeks later, on uh, June 22nd, 2005, House of M issue 2 comes out. We see an old man leave his apartment in the Bronx and on the way out checks his mail. There are a dozen letters addressed to one Captain Steve Rogers. In Hartford, Connecticut, Scott Summers and Emma Frost are in married bliss, talking about their plans for later on in the night. Emma is a child psychologist whose main patient right now is the Little Richards boy whose parents were astronauts and died during a mission. Mary Jane is a starlet breaking barriers by opening at the top of the box office returns for the weekend. Allison Blair, a mutant woman we know as the Dazzler, hosts a daytime talk show, and her first guest is TV star Simon Williams, who's playfully coy about a relationship with Miss Marvel, America's most popular superhero who isn't even a mutant. Uh, in Midtown, she stops a robbery led by Remy LeBeau, an on-again, off-again mutant we know to be Gambit. In Cincinnati, uh, Kitty Pride gives a school lesson on the first known mutant, Namor, the Prince of Atlantis. In Hell's Kitchen, local crime boss Luke Cage turns away Detective Sam Wilson. They're inquiring about the murder of one Wilson Fisk, someone we know to be the Kingpin. 
therapist, Dr. Stephen Strange, sees his patient, who I believe to be Bobby Drake, and helps him through his recurring nightmare of a wall of black consuming everything. In Russia, a metalized colossus tends to his farm. In Chicago, Dr. Hank McCoy shoots down an ambitious young scientist named Hank Pym for mapping out the human genome. Otherwise, their boss, famed human Tony Stark, could face severe public scrutiny and backlash and congressional hearings and all this bad stuff. McCoy comforts Pym apologetically, saying that when the dinosaurs went extinct, they had no way of knowing, and how brutal it must be for mankind to see their own relevance waning right before their very eyes. Aurora Monroe, the X-Men we know as Storm, is with her fashion designer Janet Van Dyne trying on a dress in Paris. Wolverine wakes from a nightmare in bed with Jean Grey, the deceased X-Men, and threatens her, unsure of what's going on until she slowly changes back to Mystique, citing his own redhead fetish back to him. Confused as hell, he escapes the room he's in when he's met by Jessica Drew, the woman we know to be Spider-Woman and Toad, a former follower of Magneto in regal-looking uniforms. He exits the room and finds himself on the deck of a helicarrier, flying above New York, accompanied by an armada of fighter jets and sentinels. House of M issue 3 releases a couple weeks later on July 6, 2005. Wolverine has a series of flashbacks hidden with dizzying speed. He remembers the first time his bone claws popped as a boy while fighting a rabid animal. He fights ninjas with the young Captain America before they had their introductions. He gets a medical procedure that grabs adamantium to his bones. He fights the Hulk. He loses Jean Grey, a love of his life. He loses Yuriko, another love from his past. The world goes white as they look for Wanda. Wolverine, for the first time ever, remembers his entire life, and it's scaring the absolute fuck out of him. Mystique tries to comfort him, but he begins interrogating her. He remembers seeing Charles by three roped figures in the wreckage of the Genosian church they attract Wanda to back at the end of issue one. Mystique suggests going to Madame Webb to psychically soothe him. Confronted by a world he doesn't understand, he jumps from the safety of his helicarrier and plummets to the world below. I wonder if that was like a like a reference to a what's his nuts, um, uh, Milton, uh, John Milton, the uh, the Paradise Lost author. I don't know. I'm a I'm a literature nerd, so that was that was where I went. Anyways, Manhattan is unrecognizable to him. He sees the latest print edition of The Pulse, talking about the House of Magnus's approaching big day, with a heroic-looking Magneto on the front page. He flips through the paper in disbelief of the world he's in, and steals a motorcycle from a nearby kid, and hightails it to the address of the Xavier School. He enters, but no one there has ever heard of Xavier or Charles or anything. From a payphone outside of a hole-in-the-wall bar in the middle of nowhere, he can't find any listing for Charles Xavier in New York or Westchester or really anywhere. He asks for Peter Parker and gets redirected to his fan club. Local drunks nearby are torturing a human, threatening to burn her clothes off just because she's non-powered, she's not a mutant, she's not important, she's just something. He pops his claws and walks towards them. The next day in New York City, he goes to Avengers Tower, hoping to find Tony Stark, but he no longer lives there. Jessica Drew, Toad, Rogue, Nightcrawler, and Mystique are there thanks to a tracker hidden in his body and try to pull him back to their base, but a fight breaks out and he manages to escape. He makes it to his motorcycle and peels off uptown when a figure rises from the middle of the street and pulls him into his darkness. It's Cloak from Cloak and Dagger, acting on the orders of his boss, Luke Cage. 
Surprised this mutant knows him, Cage orders him to stand down so they can remove the tracker in him, and another voice from the darkness repeats the order. Wolverine turns around to see none other than Hawkeye, one of the Avengers Wanda killed in her meltdown, holding a knocked arrow aimed right at him. House of M issue 4 releases July 20th, 2005. This is a week after my 15th birthday, I think. Yeah, this is an important week for me. I'm never going to tell you why, but big week for me. Anyways, a despondent Magneto surveys his kingdom of Genosha from a balcony and is greeted by his grandson, presenting him with a gift he assembled using only his mind. Back in New York, Hawkeye loses the arrow and shoots the tracker out of Wolverine, causing him to seemingly die, drawing the ire of his boss, Luke Cage. Wolverine regains consciousness, freaking everyone in the room just right the fuck out, including Misty Knight and Felicia Hardy, aka Black Cat. He was out for 30 seconds, which is just long enough for Sentinels to show up and severely fuck up Luke Cage's base. Thankfully, Cloak manages to transport a handful of them uptown to Wilson Fisk's now-abandoned penthouse. They can see the damage to Hell's Kitchen from the window, and it looks total, looks complete, looks disastrous. Unfortunately, Misty didn't make it. Luke tells him that sources in the Red Guard, the special division of S.H.I.E.L.D. that Wolverine was running, pass information that he went AWOL from his post and that he could tell him why he did it, but he's not going to believe him. Luke says he's heard some stuff recently, so he should try. Wolverine tells the whole story. At the mention of Wanda, Hawkeye interjects to say, Oh, Wanda, oh, like her, like his human kid, like his only human child. And that catches Wolverine completely off guard. Anyways, uh, where was I? He finishes his story and tells Hawkeye that he's supposed to be dead because of the witch, and the only character we don't know is this young girl in the background. Uh, she chimes in saying, I didn't know that's how it happened. Like, she had no idea that the witch was responsible for killing Hawkeye. This entire team Cage put together was a group of people trying to make things better for humans, giving them a fair shake in a world intent on leaving them behind. Luke believes everything Wolverine just said because that same young girl in the background came up to him the day before and told him the exact same story, and then did something that made him remember every part of his old life, including his pregnant wife, Jessica Jones. He introduces Wolverine to the girl, whose name is Layla Miller, who says she just woke up and everything about the world was wrong, and she can make certain people see what she means. Wolverine realizes that Magneto had wanted to give everyone the thing they wanted most, and what Wolverine wanted was to remember, using Charles to psychically figure out for every hero so there would be less resistance. Wolverine gets a phone book and takes his new friends over to the residence of Scott and Emma Summers. Emma comes home and is ready to go apeshit on these intruders, these humans, bold enough to rob her, and uses her psychic powers to reach out and shut them down when she's confused that Wolverine, a man she's never met, knows her. She probes further, and Layla works her mutant magic on her, causing Emma to remember everything. She loses it, promising this is it, this is the last straw, they're gonna find Magneto and they're gonna fucking kill him and his children because of this. Wolverine, now his old friend Emma, casually goes over to the fridge and cracks open a beer, suggesting they put a bigger team together, even though there's no promise they'll be able to fix a mess this big. 
Alright, a week after this issue, Marvel did something really, really cool. That that newspaper that Wolverine was flipping through, they actually printed that. They released it. This is the Pulse House of M Special Edition. It came out July 27th, 2005. And there's a lot in here, so I'm just going to read the, the, the headlines and talk about something really cool they did. So on the cover, it's a House of Magnus gala happening this weekend, and on the inside, there's a mutant stem cell debate by Dr. Otto Octavius. Allison Blair, beloved TV host, is losing her mutant power due to a rare blood disorder. She-Hulk, Manhattan's favorite celebrity attorney, has a new love interest. Iron Man got someone pregnant and fights off uh, uh, like a hostile takeover of his business, and so like it just looks like a tabloid. Like it's like they have like a little uh, rumor section, you know? They've got gossip, all this shit. And then we get into like the hard-hitting news. Hydra kidnaps the daughter of a Japanese crime cartel leader from Clan Yoshida. Lord Kevin Plunder, I'm pretty sure that's Kazar, is granted asylum in the United States. Shang-Chi and Raphael Vega, the heads of two human-led gangster uh, organizations, are arrested in Hell's Kitchen. And this is something incredibly cool. They started talking about the tie-ins for House of M, but they framed them as news stories. So there's a, a story about the Hulk going through the Tanami Desert of the Australian Outback, and then at the end, instead of saying, like, continued on page 62, it says continued in Hulk 83 to 87. A British royal birthday of Brian and Megan Braddock, and then that's continued in Uncanny X-Men 462 to 465. A Cree delegation arrives to hopeful reception. That is continued in Thunderbolts issue 11. World leaders gathered for historic uh, Genosha summit. Uh, Magneto, Mole King rift widens as trade treaty stalls. That is continued in Fantastic Four House of M issues 1 through 3. Embassy attacked, Sentinel stolen, continued in Wolverine 33 through 35. 50th anniversary of Captain America's Walk on the Moon continued in Captain America issue 10. Then there's an ad for joining S.H.I.E.L.D. And then there's another gossipy sort of, this seems like a like a brooch of a journalistic peer view, but uh, is mutant murderer really sapient scientist Moira McTaggart? And that's continued, yeah, sorry, continued in Exiles issues 69 to 71. The Shallow End of the Gene Pool essay on Dr. Nathaniel Essex, who we know as Mr. Sinister, by Hank Pym. That is continued in Cable and Deadpool, issue 17. Green Goblin, who's not uh, not Norman Osborn, not, not uh, super villainous, he's actually just like a wrestler. That was how Spider-Man got his start. And he wrote uh, an essay saying, Green Goblin, Spidey's a good kid. Continued in Spider-Man, House of M, 1 through 5. I think dealing with some, some backlash to, to Spider-Man in that series. Um, Dragons Over Shytown and Stark Triumphant, the Sapien Deathmatch season opener. And that's like a, a brutalistic, violent sporting event. Continued in House of M, Iron Man issues 1 through 3. Storm Clouds Over Africa, continued in Black Panther 7. Then there's another gossip column called Face Down in the Gutter. There's an ad for Janet Van Dyne's fashion boutiques and consultancy in Paris, Milan, and New York City. And three phases towards success, popular psychologist traded a government job for a teaching gig. Continued in X-Men issues 16 through 19. I am so bummed out that this issue is not available on, on Marvel Unlimited. But they printed it like on newsprint. The issue cost 50 cents. And it was just so cool to have like a little snippet from this world like actually exists in our world. This is probably my favorite tie-in to House of M. Um, next episode... I might do like a brief survey of these. I don't think that like the times are especially good. I think the Captain America one is pretty interesting, just seeing the the life he lived instead of uh, being frozen in that block of ice. 
and everything he managed to accomplish, but um, I gotta be honest, I don't love a lot of these tie-ins, so uh, probably just like a real, real quick summary, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to think of like a fun gimmick for, for that one, but um, man, if you if you can go on eBay and track down this, this newsprint of the Pulse, uh, I cannot recommend that enough, I think it is insanely cool. House of M, issue 5, comes out August 10th, 2005. Emma Frost shows Layla Miller a psychic projection of her brain, telling her that she's now a very important mutant and will need it be, sorry, be needed to save the world, just as she's apologizing that Layla will have to grow up faster than she probably wanted to. Her husband, Scott, returns home. Confused by the large group of people in his home, when Emma helps Layla unlock his memories of the world before, he's so taken aback he vomits. It's weird because like they're definitely fucking at this point, but he has like this little moment. He's like, "We're we're, we're married," and then he pukes again. And it's like, yeah, you guys have been together long enough, and you you, you say you love each other. Then like, I don't think I don't think you should have puked at the whole idea of them being married. But I'm editorializing there. I mean, this entire podcast is a fucking editorial, but uh, probably injecting a little too much myself there. It's just it's a weird readum. Um, anyways, he's disgusted at the change that has happened uh, to the world against his will. The group of heroes sets out and finds celebrity Peter Parker out with his wife Gwen Stacy, their son Richie, and his Aunt May and Uncle Ben, who is alive in the House of M world. Layla reaches out and unlocks his memory, showing him a flood of images, including his rogues gallery, his wedding to Mary Jane and many, many more. Peter loses it when he realizes that his Uncle Ben is actually dead. He takes off jumping and swinging away from the group of heroes and his family who Emma Frost mentally commands to go into the park and have a great day. Wolverine, of all people, is the one to go after Peter and talk him off the emotional cliff he finds himself on. He says he's going to kill Magneto and his daughter, but Wolverine assures him he won't get the chance because he'll have taken care of it already. Layla goes on a, a nice little montage where she activates Kitty Pride, Stephen Strange, Carol Danvers, Jennifer Walters, aka She-Hulk, Daredevil, and upon seeing how old Steve Rogers is, decides to leave him alone. The reawakened heroes assemble and establish what they know to be true. Emma sums up the entire situation and just, just as a reminder, you know, I'm just gonna read it. Quote, Magneto convinced or forced his mentally ill daughter to turn the world into his own image. To pull this off, he has betrayed his friend Charles Xavier by drugging or in some other way coercing the most powerful mutant psychic on the planet to dig into our minds and give us our heart's desire, or something close enough where we would be pacified and happy. Content to live Magneto's dream, Xavier is the only psychic powerful enough to do this to us the only one with the Cerebro technology wide enough to read the world if he needed to, or was forced to. And he's missing, gone, never existed. Is there anyone in this room who doubts that this is what happened? And the only one skeptical is Hawkeye, who hasn't had Layla restore his memories yet. Just as he's deciding if he'll let her, their party is crashed by the Red Guard. Rogue grabs Layla and absorbs her power, accidentally activating Toad, Jessica Drew, Mystique, Nightcrawler and herself in the process. Hawkeye makes off in the confusion and Wolverine says it's time to take the fight right to Magneto himself. Meanwhile, in Genosha, Magneto seems distracted as his daughter Lorna, that's the former X-Men and probably a bad person at some point, uh, we know her as Pol uh, Polaris, 
Ornette comes to tell him that guests will be arriving soon for the House of Magnus Gala. He asks for a moment and goes to the Xavier Memorial Garden with a plaque reading, He died so Genosha could live. House of M, Issue 6, comes out September 7th, 2005. Jessica Drew is flying a shuttle and uses her credentials as a Red Guard agent to land on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. Emma Frost uses her psychic abilities to hide her friends from the other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and mentally commandeers the helicarrier, setting a new course for Genosha. Magneto begins welcoming guests, including an unmasked Doctor Doom. The heroes gather in the helicarrier's commissary for one last meal before the impending fight. Luke Cage calls his child's mother, Jessica Jones, and hangs up before leaving a message, and Peter feels guilty about the success MJ is enjoying now that she's not with him. The crew discusses the pop, uh, sorry, the probability of pulling off what they're about to attempt when Jessica asks if they even should. She says, quote, They gave us what we always wanted, and isn't there an argument that we deserve to get this? To be happy for once? I don't know, maybe this was the time for this to happen. Wolverine chimes in, saying she's going to be embarrassed someday for something uh, that stupid out loud, and she doubles down. She says, my point is... When something of this magnitude happens, you have to step back and say, maybe this was time for this to happen. Who are we to decide how the world is supposed to be? When the meteors hit the Earth and destroy species, it's natural selection, right? Will a meteor just hit the Earth? Maybe this is how mutants become the next dominant species. Wolverine says that's two things she's going to be embarrassed about for saying out loud. And she stands tough saying, translation, you don't know if I'm right or wrong and it scares the crap out of you. And it should. Scott breaks the group into three teams. <clears throat> Layla, Emma, and Cloak are to find Xavier. Doctor Strange is his own team to engage with Wanda on the astral plane where they're evenly matched and everyone else is on distraction duty. Distinguished guests keep arriving at the gala. Namor, Janice Val of the Kree Empire, Princess Aurora of Kenya, King Namor of Atlantis, and finally the host, the House of Magnus. A lone sentinel leaves the deck of the helicarrier and begins careening towards the events at attack speed. The master of magnetism stops it in its tracks before it crashes into the guests in attendance when the heroes begin pouring out and fighting the establishment there on the ground. Elsewhere, Emma, Layla, and Cloak begin looking for Xavier in Magneto's palace when they come across the Xavier Memorial Garden. Emma feels like all hope is lost when Cloak descends underground and confirms there's no body reassuring them that this is not over yet. House of M issue 7 came out October 12th, 2005. All hell is breaking loose between the diversionary attack and the entrenched shield agents on the ground, with Rogue so desperate she starts absorbing powers from Genesville and Namor, because as she says it, they're playing to win. Lorna protects her family with a defensive shield, and Pietro tries to get his sister out of harm's way, but she dematerializes right before him, sending him into a blind rage as he strikes out against his former friends and teammates. Steven sneaks away from the main fight in his astral form and wanders around the palace looking for Wanda. He finds her in her room, playing with her young children. He was concerned, he thought something happened to her, but it turns out that was just like a projection of her. She didn't, she didn't want to be there, she just wanted to hang out and keep playing with her kids. The conversation is pleasant. A strange fills her in on what's going on and says she wanted this meeting because she created Layla Miller. She says, I don't know who that is. And then Strange like kind of uh, acquiesces and is like, yeah, I guess you wouldn't. You've been kind of fucking busy lately creating a lot. So why would you remember one person? 
Wanda is answering his questions to the best of her ability, but she still seems vacant and confused. Strange shows her the battle happening outside, and Wanda's disappointed, saying that the point of all this was to stop the fighting. She shows him the full argument between Pietro and Magneto from issue one and the conversation that Pietro and Wanda have after, something we haven't seen. And it reveals that Pietro's idea was to create the House of M so that Wanda could be spared. It is not Magneto's call. This was all her twin brother, Pietro. Strange tells Emma psychically, who presses him to ask about Xavier. But before Strange can get an answer from Wanda, Wanda collapses to the ground and reveals a purple arrow in the back of her spine. Magneto finds Emma and Layla prowling around the palace grounds, and Layla unlocks Magneto's memories. A no longer dying Wanda, she used her powers to take care of the arrow, she's always going to be fine, starts talking to Hawkeye, who's distraught at what Wanda did to him when he would have done anything for her. He says he would have killed for her. One of Wanda's children, kind of an extension of herself, unleashes his anger and makes Hawkeye disappear from this reality, the same way that like Wanda sort of phased out uh, from the, the battle scene below. Wanda admits she can't control her powers anymore. A reawakened Magneto makes his way back to the battle, furious at what his son Pietro has done in his name. He uses his magnetic powers to reassemble the Crash Sentinel, and uses it to kill Pietro where he stands. A devastated Wanda suddenly appears, and uses her powers to revive Pietro, and then just starts cursing at her father. Look at what you've done to us, Daddy. Pietro is right, you ruined us before we even had a chance. Why would you treat your own children this way? Because you actually think you're better than everyone else. The arrogance of you. You think because we're beings we're better than them. That we deserve to rule. That's what you wanted and I gave it to you. But look what it becomes. Even when you get what you want, you're still this horrible man. We're not the next step. We're not gods. We're freaks. Look at us. You chose this over us and you ruined us. The fighting stops and Wanda says the three most important words in a Marvel comic for the rest of the decade. No more mutants, she says. The world turns white. I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit. Sorry, I've been talking for 40 minutes straight like a moron. Um, <clears throat> we're going to get to the guest soon, I promise. House of M, issue 8, comes out November 2nd, 2005. Layla Miller wakes up in her bedroom, yelled at by her parents for being late for school. Posters of the city's greatest heroes and even Moon Knight line her wall. Peter Parker, uh, Peter Parker wakes up in bed with Mary Jane at Avengers Tower. She doesn't seem to remember what happened. Peter enters the meeting room with other heroes. Everyone who is there remembers the House of M, but Bob Reynolds, the century, does not. Man who wasn't there at the final fight. A nearly broken Doctor Strange appears from the shadows, telling them that not quite everything is okay in this new world. At Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, Emma Frost wakes up on the school grounds, just shouting from inside the academy. Students everywhere are collapsing. They've all lost their powers. When they realize what Wolverine losing his powers would mean, the adamantium metal grafted, it is, his powers aren't claws or adamantium, it's, it's healing. And that healing is the only thing that keeps him alive. Um, Nightcrawler begins a search, teleporting all over the school looking for him. He finds him outside on the school grounds. I remember, he says, my whole life. I remember all of it. Emma goes down to Cerebro, the supercomputer that amplifies psychic abilities, and she runs a scan on the Earth. A few dots glitter the globe. Those are the only mutants left on the planet. Students are shocked they've lost their powers, asking if they did something wrong. 
Nobody who wasn't present at the final attack remembers anything about the House of M, including Colossus, who was in the New World, but wasn't there. Emma and those who remember are desperately thinking of where Xavier could be, but their planning is interrupted when Bobby Drake, aka Iceman, one of the original X-Men, emerges from his room without powers. The Avengers helplessly watch a White House press conference, explaining the situation to a confused nation to the best of their ability, saying the U.S. government had no hand in this event. On another screen, they see televangelist and anti-mutant bigot William Stryker saying this decimation of the mutant population is God's will, and it's up to mankind to finish the job. Cap and Iron Man weren't at ground zero of the battle. They have no idea what is going on, but they trust their teammates about what they are being told. Doctor Strange, despite all of his abilities, feels like he failed in his duties as the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth, and he can't find Wanda. He has no idea where she is. Peter asks Strange to remove the memories of this event from his mind, and he apologizes, saying he can't. And Peter lashes out, slamming his fists on the table, screaming at the good doctor, begging and demanding before apologizing for his outburst. An alarm goes off at the old Avengers mansion, prompting a response from the team. They arrive and see Hawkeye's uniform pinned to the wall with his arrows, suggesting he's still alive somewhere out there. Steve smiles. Magneto walks the wreckage of Genosha, unable to lift even a fork with his mutant powers. The astonishing X-Men arrive with Wolverine pouncing on him, demanding to know where Wanda is, rubbing in the fact that Magneto's lost his powers, but Wolverine hasn't. He threatens him, saying that he deserves every second of the rest of his life as a flat-scan homo sapien instead of the mutant he was before. Hank Pym gives an interview that plays out as we see Wanda and her classic Red Hood wander through an Eastern European market. The camera pulls out slowly and stops at a full view of the Earth as Pym reaches his point. Quote, All this energy, the energy of thousands of mutants, it didn't all just disappear. I'm asking, where did it go? It's Sir Isaac Newton's third law of physics. Everyone knows it. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So I'm asking, what will be the reaction? An energy storm flares on the edge of Earth. The book ends. That is House of M issues 1 through 8. It's the Pulse special edition. It is uh, House of M prelude and Excalibur issues 13 and 14. And I really liked revisiting this book, man. I gotta be honest. I, um... I, I think the biggest <clears throat> takeaway is reading those House of M prelude issues and then reading this. And it just feels night and day. Like, I know it's the same format, it's the same medium, but it feels like two completely different interpretations of it. And you really see, like, this big, bombastic, cinematic scope in, in this House of M main book that, like... It just, it feels like a fucking movie. And at this point in time, I think this was the summer that, like, Fantastic Four comes out. This is a couple years removed from, like, Daredevil and Hulk and X-Men 2 and original X-Men and Spider-Man Spider-Man 2. And this just felt like it was operating on such a grander scale than those movies. And it really highlighted why comics were so important. It made it feel like anything was possible in these in these books, whereas, like, in the movies, they were kind of smaller, they were way more focused, the special effects weren't quite there, but, like, those stories were so intimate, they were so character-driven, because they were trying to pull just, like, uh, like, like, basic movie fans into these characters, whereas a book like this just had freedom to operate, that those movies, I, it just didn't, 
didn't quite get to at that point in time, and arguably still haven't really gotten to. I mean, we've seen big crazy stories told in like Avengers Endgame and, and Infinity War, and I think we eventually got there, but um, to, to mix results, those aren't everyone's, like, I don't think anyone has the same favorite comic book movie, and I'm not saying House of M is anyone's favorite comic book event, but I think the scope is something that is undeniable, and this is also kind of the start of the end of the Ultimate Universe, and we're going to talk about that more in the next big event, Civil War, which is actually much closer than uh, you would think. Uh, you'd think they would take <laughs> take a breather and uh, maybe a victory lap after House of M, but that is just very, very much not the case. I think in like three months, actually, there's like the, the kickoff and the road to Civil War with, with Peter Parker and Fantastic Four and stuff. So I'm excited to get into all that, but this just felt like a, like a sea change. And we're going to have some interesting conversations with some guests, so please look forward to those. Um... Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please follow the guests. Please uh, follow the show at Shortbox Summary on Twitter. Please leave ratings. Please leave reviews. Please tell your friends. Um, this this show is really fun to do. I really like talking about this nerdy shit with nerdy people. So please spread the word, and so we can have more conversations about fun books like House of M and disappointing books <laughs> like House of M and intriguing books like House of M. They're the cool thing about comics is they're big enough for everyone to feel everything about them, and no opinion's wrong, because opinions aren't really wrong, that's not how they work. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to the summary, and let's get to our guests. Hello, Internet! Welcome back to Shortbox Summary. I'm your host, George, and joining us, returning to Shortbox Summer, we've got famed indie comic writer himself, Anthony Stokes. Anthony, how's it going? I, that feels weird now. Stokes, how's it going? Famed it. You are you are too kind. I saw some cool things happening to you this week in indie comic space. Earlier in the week, I saw some cool things happening to you. You were just nominated for like a big award, right? A cage award. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's it's you know. I guess the I guess the message you you don't never know who's pulling for you, right? Like some people are are gonna be supportive, um, in the background, and I don't. I had nothing to do with this like so that's that's lit um even even cooler i got a writing job i got a writing job uh like just just got everything kind of set up um for my first writing job with charlie mckelvey a good friend of mine so that's 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 great news too congrats man yeah you've written books like decay uh intrusive thoughts tapper die is your new baby coming out very soon yeah that's the new shit that's new shit shit like three weeks Oh, that's exciting. So very glad. Thank you for fitting us in. I know this isn't like an indie yeah, comic book podcast, crazy. but the, <laughs> thanks for thanks for coming on my show first before uh, you hit the rest of the junket promoting uh tap or die. Yeah, I'm gonna get like yeah, I'm gonna I'm be I'm about, I, I joke before I'm like I'm getting a, a podcasting shape, so this is a good one. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, you're here today to talk about House of M. Before we even get started, House of M came out in 2005. Who were you in 2005? Oh my god, bro. It's like I feel like that was like too young. That was like anything after 9-11, anything up from 9-11 to like high school, I feel like I don't have a, a touch base. I was probably precocious. Um, and I I did not read this until I was an adult. Okay. <laughs> that I didn't know. I do know I remember I had I heard about it because I think the Avengers movies, it was one of the MCU movies came out. I think this is post Age of Ultron. 
No, it's 2018. So this is this is post Infinity War. I remember because I got I was driving too fast and it was one of those things where like the speed limit changes really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I got pulled over. I was in court reading House of M. <laughs> okay so that's how i knew so yeah it was 2018 so when i read it i was uh i was in a i was in a tough spot all right well um this is the first big like event book we've covered on this show we've done a lot of it, smaller stories i guess like intros to characters and whatnot and just trying to figure out what they were up to while all this big shit was about to pop off but this is the first big time like summer blockbuster style book we've covered now you've read a lot of comics did you get that feeling that this felt like something special like th that this was a dedicated event that this was like them trying to do their own summer blockbuster i don't think i had the i don't think i had like the knowledge because I, I didn't read I didn't read Marvel and DC growing up. I was more mm -hmm. of, a, of a manga guy, specifically Shonen Jump. So I didn't have the the knowledge of the infrastructure to know that. But reading it, it, it did seem like this was like a really a really big thing. You know, mm -hmm. I knew I think I had like an idea of Infinite Crisis of Infinite Earth. Right. Like, yeah. So I was aware, but I didn't know. It well, like you, you're with like nerdy background shit. It's like, oh yeah, I've heard of Age of Apocalypse, right? Like I've I've heard of shit like that. Actually, you know what? I read Age of Ultron. I think I read it. I, that's right. I did read that. I read that before House of M because the okay. movie came out. I read it before the movie. Gotcha. Um, well, sick. But like, did you? I guess revisiting this book recently, did it feel like it? It checked off the boxes for what you'd expect of a summer blockbuster from comics. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely like multiple multiple teams, a lot of a lot of scale. Um uh the art was good. Like, you know, yeah, I I, I definitely got that. Okay. This was my first exposure to the artist, Olivier Capel, who's like this French dude who I think is like a, just a fucking genius. We oui, oui. and, and just the amount of times he would just layer small panels on top of big panels just to like spread out the length of a moment. I just thought like I hadn't seen anything like that at this point. I was 14, 15 when this book was coming out. So that shit kind of blew my mind. And uh, I I would be remiss to have you on if we didn't talk about um, our guy, Brian Michael Bendis. This is a big, <laughs> big Brian Michael Bendis book. This is like kind of when he became the architect, I guess, is like the best word of uh, of Marvel, yeah. right? Like everything was like running through him. And so the the universe itself like inhaled and exhaled through the work that he was doing with amazing artists like Olivier Capel. Um, yeah. I know you've read a lot of Bendis through like Ultimate Spider-Man and shit. Yeah, I'm rereading that today. That's that's been uh that's been interesting. Okay. How does like this piece of shit ripped off Sam Raimi, but I didn't know that they <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't I didn't have the I didn't have the dates right. Right. <laughs> Sam Raimi ripped off this piece of shit. Um dude, I, like how did it feel checking out a, a Bendis book? I know you got thoughts on Bendis. I think I think Bendis for for his being known for dialogue, I think we've discussed this. I think that's his weakest. That's his weakest suit. I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. reading. I'm reading like Ultimate Spider-Man. It's not quite cringy, but I think it's like the seed of what would later become like Bendis dialogue. Um, and it's Peter Parker. Like I, I feel like Peter Parker's never written like funny. Like I think I. I mean, even Miles Morales, like the Spider Verse, it's not really Peter. And he, yeah, I, I never thought that Peter Parker was like really that funny. And then reading this and then reading House of M, 
Um, I will say though, his stories are great. I mean, for not read, I think he's he's really good at character and story. You know, I'm reading Ultimate Spider-Man and appreciating like the iconography and like how he like recontextualizes everything for the Ultimate series, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. And I think a lot of the character work he did with House of M is is phenomenal as well. It's funny that he was so good on Ultimate Spider-Man because books like this, I think, kind of helped kill the Ultimate Universe. Because the whole idea behind the Ultimate Universe was like, let's create something new and modern and something mm-hmm. completely distanced from the past. And then because of that, I feel like the like a, a, a rising tide lifts all ships kind of thing, right? Like th- mm-hmm. those books existing gave other books permission to be a bit more daring and a bit more contemporary and even like i guess adventurous and how they tell stories so like them being so successful on the ultimate universe kind of made it so that they could steal a lot of that shit back in like the normal universe and then kind of made the ultimate universe redundant like within a decade i think yeah i don't like i said i don't have the i have the context no no it's good it's It's all good i did i am enjoying what i'm reading so far and i because we talked about the ultimate series and um we were and, and you were like it's like they're reintroducing it into the modern era and I'm like yeah this is definitely like a 2000s Spider Man and and I haven't read a lot of the Ultimate stuff I think I read the Ultimate Avengers and I think the only big big runs I read I read Avengers versus X Men uh which I think Bendis wrote a part of yeah yeah House of M yeah this and then Age of Ultron are probably the probably the big ones the big Marvel runs that I've read mm-hmm. the event the events that's what they call them right yeah. Did anything from this book stand out to you as a creator where you're like, fuck, that was good how they did that? Or like, fuck, that beat was impressive how they dropped it. I think all the like, the, the, I think the juxtaposition of like, this is what this character is like, having gotten everything they wanted was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, That was that was phenomenal. And I would say up until everybody gets their memories back, it's an incredible book. I think that's when it starts to lose steam for me. Because after that, it's just an Avengers book. And uh, like, I, I, you can read it. And we have these conversations, right? Like, I know who Storm is. Mm-hmm. I don't know who Cloak and Dagger are, you know, right? Like, I don't know who these more obscure characters, not obscure, but they're still Avengers. But like, some of these guys aren't, maybe are not as iconic. So it's it's like, you you're feel like you're missing some context. And then, yeah, it just, it just becomes like a big battle. And I feel like a lot of the character stuff gets gets lost in that and then i think it brings it back around at the end but i think this is like a this is like a the first two issues three issues or yeah it's it's funny you say that because like the first issue is everyone deciding that they need to kill wanda right and then issues two three and four i don't think you see like a single person from the avengers roster like i think it's like all following like wolverine and i guess like luke cage but like you don't see Tony Stark, you don't really see Spider-Man even, right? Until like Layla Miller starts going around and like making yeah. people remember all that shit. It's mostly the yeah, it's mostly the X-Men, the street level Avengers. Like, and then yeah, yeah, basically X-Men street level Avengers. That's that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it becomes Rogers, yeah, like old, for a little old, bit. Old fuck, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then it you're right, and then it becomes a superhero story. Like at first, it is like a really interesting, like, oh yeah, okay, these people who've been tortured their entire existence just by the nature of fiction. Let's introduce them to paradise, right? Like, let's give them everything they think they've ever wanted, or everything we could infer that they've ever wanted. Peter's gonna be married to Gwen Stacy. Tony Stark is going to be the most successful person on the planet, despite his limitations. Um, Gene and Scott are going to be married. Doctor Strange is not going to be 
the Sorcerer Supreme is just going to be a therapist. Jen, Walter, She-Hulk, and Daredevil, like, they're just going to be lawyers. You know, like, they're, yeah. they're just going to be living their lives because they don't want to be heroes. And then all of a sudden it becomes a superhero extravaganza, right? Like, it's, like, yeah. literally assembling a crew of them going around making people remember. And then staging. so fast, too. Yeah, so fast. It could have been, like, a heist. But it's it's like they get a they get a couple of them and it's just the rest of them they they all get their memories back, and I and I get it as well. I think it's just I think it's just unfortunate that that's what it because I I personally feel as if I can kind of get that sort of thing anywhere. Mm-hmm. There is like okay, it's a child's on the other side, Namor's on the other side, stuff like that. And I think about like even I feel like Avengers versus X Men had more character stuff going on during all the battles, right. Not trying to not trying to shit on it because it's still no, no, good. good. It's yeah. still good. I feel like it just loses steam personally. I think I agree with you. Like uh, it, it starts to get my attention back when it is like Doctor Strange talking to Wanda at the exactly. end there, and like those like quieter moments. Because you're right. Like I, I guess at the time we had never seen anything like this. Like th- there have been big superhero fights. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I guess with this level of, level of like cinematography, right? Like that was like the thing that felt new. And uh, you're right. It's almost like the TV moments that like made me happier reading this book where like real pain in Hawkeye because like fucking Wanda killed him and all of a sudden he's back and he's just like, what are you doing? Like you're toying with me. Like, what did I ever do to you? And just like trying to get to those moments and like Peter freaking out, like begging Stephen Strange to like remove the memory of ever being married to Gwen Stacy from his head and like lose losing his fucking cool several times. Yeah, that 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 shit was so good. And I think I truthfully believe that Bendis like is is I'm not trying to I'm not trying to shit on him. He can shit on him. I I, I, no, I feel like he's just so much better with the character drama stuff. Like even even in um reading Ultimate right now, and it's like the dialogue is iffy. I feel like he's kind of an asshole. But that moment where Uncle Ben dies, it's like it's haunting. You know, like it's really it just kind of shakes you to the core that it, it, it didn't before. So I, I, I actually think, yeah, like as a drama writer, I feel like he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And normally I get pissed when I like open a page and it's like 85% words. Like normally that pisses me <laughs> off. And Bendis is super fucking guilty of this, right? Like just fills the page and like almost to like a detriment where it's just like, Hey, like so I work with some of the world's best artists. I want to cover that shit up with my super important words but like it never takes long to read a Bendis page. Like whenever I'm doing prep for this show, if it's a Bendis book I'm covering, I immediately cut like my my reread time in half and like my note taking time in half just because it's a lot of words, but they read so naturally and so quickly and organically. And like, I don't think he's doing anything like special. Like, I don't think he's like a good wordsmith, right? Like, I don't think like I don't think he writes prose that I'm like, holy shit, that was a beautiful way to say that sentence. Yeah. You know? But he does just make casual conversations so clicky, you know, like it does feel like we talked about this before on this podcast, but like it does feel like something out of the wire where like you'll get lost in a in a conversation for a little bit and be like, oh, fuck, that's right. We weren't actually like this. <laughs> this has no bearing on the plot whatsoever, but it was kind of yeah. fun just parking our car here for a second. There's always that. There's always that balance, right? There's always like trying to like, yeah, find find that where we're. We're developing character. It, 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 when I started writing, I think the hardest thing was like having having a scene play, having a scene play out, but not stopping for the character development. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because what you would have, what you would have is like, for instance, this, you know, you have two characters, they get the plot out the way or they're leading up to the plot and it's just, they're just throwing words at each other, but they don't really develop character or they develop too much character. It's like, Hey, did you, you know, how's law school? It's like, you know, like shit like that, where it's like an expo dump. So yeah, it's definitely tricky finding, finding that balance of developing characters, but not screeching something, something to the hole. And I, to be fair, I, I mean, I, like I said, I read, I read ultimate Spider-Man in house of M, uh, and a couple other business stories, but I've seen like the double spread page of just of this text. I haven't, I haven't come across that yet, but overall I do agree with you that it is, it is pretty brisk maybe because, cause Oh, I read giant homicidal maniac. Right. And it's like, that's a hard read, bro. Yeah. Like, bro, I'll be half, I'll be halfway trying to read that shit. And it's just like, it's prose. It's like big words. It's like, business is like, yeah, it's, it's way breezier. Mm-hmm. Any, any closing thoughts on house of M? anything you want listeners to, uh, to, to carry with them from this podcast with your thoughts on, on the book or Bendis or the artist or the characters, anything you want to uh, say goodbye with? I think, yeah, I, I think give it a shot. It's definitely one of the better stories, the better super superhero stories I've read, but, you know, mm-hmm. just brace for it to like drop off character wise. For sure. And like, it's really, if, he got to the point like by episode or wow episode by issue five where it felt like this these next few issues aren't going to be nearly as important as what comes next right like it, it yeah. almost feels like the mcu where it's like oh man you thought this movie was cool fucking wait till the next movie my guy that one's gonna just blow your fucking socks off and yeah. like the ending of this they set something up so big and i remember reading that book that they set up and man that book fucking sucked <laughs> like that was just not a good book so i wish wish they stuck the landing a little bit better here is a new avengers spinoff thing where it was dealing with the fallout of, of house of M. that's the um, problem bro it doesn't have it it doesn't feel like it has an ending i get i mean i suppose but it's just it's just and and i guess that's the problem with these it's like all these times and stuff like that it can, it can be daunting mm-hmm. trying to follow this stuff i will say that this book has one of my more favorite tie-ins setups where it's like i think mm-hmm. I think everything is like a mini series where it's like, oh, House of M, Fantastic Four, three issues. House of M, Peter Parker, Spider Man, five issues. It doesn't like take over the main titles. Like everything itself is self contained, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate, especially now, just not having to jump between series and whatever and, you know, slow everyone else's story down to a, a halt just so you can get your shit off. Stokes, you got Tap or Die coming out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Tap or Die and where people can uh, find it, where people, how people can support you, and if there's a voting process for your Cage Award, how how we might be able to uh, help our our buddy Stokes. Um, every 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 purchase of my comic book is a vote for the Cage Awards. Um, so that's that's the premium. I don't know. I don't know how to vote. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Um, no, it's called Tap or Die. It's about a guy in a wrestling league. His commissioner screws him over, and he gets revenge. And so he gets revenge through wrestling, almost like a a, a John Wick of of wrestling. And it's, it's very, very exciting. And it's going to come out on Kickstarter on June 27th. Very cool. Awesome. This episode will be out before then. So, hey, that that link should be live by then. So please go click it. Please support Stokes. Please. You can follow Stokes on Twitter at Stokes the Writer. Yes, Stokes the Writer. You host spaces several times a week. I have to ignore probably half of them because I will be a zombie at work the next day because I have too much fun with you and Richard and Trevor and Chris and Pat and everyone. 
but not Armin. No, I, I secretly love Armin. Armin, <laughs> Armin might be my favorite. <laughs> Armin's your favorite? All right, bro. No, probably <laughs> probably Richard, but Armin's just like, oh, he, like he's like a, he's a dude who just comes off the bench and scores 12 points in like three minutes, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, why he's is this guy a fucking... Yeah, exactly. Like, why, why isn't he a fucking starter, man? And then like you put him in the starting lineup, and you're like, oh, that's why he's not a starter. Because <laughs> he's going to... Cool. He's, he's going to tell some weird story about the time he got pulled over at a for running a stoplight or something. Uh, Stokes, thank you so much for jumping on. Thank you for talking about House of M, and we will uh, have you back on soon. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of movie shit because I need a break from comics coming up soon. Facts, facts. Yeah. So anytime you want to come on and do a, a a movie thing, I'm thinking about doing Catwoman from 2003. Ooh. If you want to, if you want to talk about that, <laughs> that, Bro, that, I, that piece of art, dog. I didn't even watch the movie that came out. That might be interesting. I didn't watch it when it came out. I watched it like a couple years later, and I I don't think I've ever finished that movie. I think I've only seen the first like half hour. Is that the last bad? When did the spirit come out? I feel like Catwoman was like the last of the bad superhero movies. Like because after that, you know, you got Sin City. So Spirit must have been two thousand seven or something. Yeah, but you still had like Elektra. You still had. Like just 2005. Yeah. Fantastic Four movies, shit like that. I feel like the Fantastic Four movies weren't that bad. I no, I like the first one. I think the first one's fun. I think the second one's kind of like a dumb fun. I think I was getting broken up with around the time I saw that movie. So that might, <laughs> that might, that might have soured my opinion of it. But anyways. I'm so glad Twitter wasn't around when the fucking Silver Surf or Galactus came out. Oh my Man, god, bro. I'm so glad. I'm so glad Twitter wasn't around the first time I got dumped. Like that was <laughs> speaking of Fantastic Four two and Galactus. Yeah, really glad. Just would have been a fucking sad boy online. Okay, sure. <laughs> like I'm good now. I'm just saying high school me. Like I'm revisiting all this shit from my high school era, and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember how I felt. Not great sometimes, you know. Back, and, back. Anyways, that's a good place to fucking end. Thank you, Stokes. <laughs> Thanks, you. Talk Thank to you, you soon. <laughs> Hello, internet. Welcome back to the House of M extravaganza that I'm doing for a big anniversary blowout. Uh, second guest we got here, we've got Joe. And Joe is someone I met in Twitter spaces. And Joe reads more comics than any person I've ever met in real life. It, I, I'm so jealous. I see you posting everything you're burning through. You read what feels like, I'd say like a soft estimate, 8,000 issues a week. Um, <laughs> pretty amazing stuff. Joe, welcome to Shortbox Summary. Hi, hello. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah. Joe, what, what got you into comics? Um, a friend of mine was, likes to post about, like, he, he's read a lot of comics. And whenever there was any MCU news of any new movies or anything, he just posts his theories about it mm. and his thoughts on adaptations and everything. And that kind of got me interested. And when WandaVision was coming out, I got interested in his posts about the Young Avengers, and I was like, "Who, who, who's that? What's that?" And I started like reading a bunch of comics. Couldn't really get into it. it, it new form of media. I never read any comics before that. Mm-hmm. And then once I read a Young Avengers comic, I got hooked. And then I just read all of their stuff. And then it was just easy to get into other stuff from that. Young Avengers was there for me when I first started like going to the shop every week. So I completely understand. I was like 14 or 15 when that book was coming out. I was the age of the Young Avengers and it felt like it was my team. I was like, yeah, fuck these mm-hmm. old people. I don't want to deal with them. Like they've got <laughs> facial hair. I can't do that yet. Um, let me hang out with, with Teddy <laughs> and the gang. Um, so 
I totally get that being your your gateway drug into into comics. And around the time of Young Avengers is when House of M was finally coming out. Um, you've never read this book before yesterday slash today, right? Yeah, I w- I usually just skipped in my readings. I don't know. I just I've never heard anything good about it really. Okay. And all I knew, like all I needed to know about it, was that it caused like children's crusade to happen and that's like one of my favorite comics ever so mm, okay so as soon as you figured out the uh the connection that's when you're like oh fuck it i'm i'm in mm-hmm. okay cool cool well this was your first time reading it what did you think um i thought it was a cool comic overall it's much better than disassembled which i thought was handled pretty okay mm. the art in this reminded me a lot of cho like like frank cho but kind of better i i like this design for Wolverine a lot. It's maybe one of my favorite designs ever. And, and um, I didn't expect Spider-Man to kind of be the POV character. It, it was, I didn't expect that. And I expected a lot more Wanda than we got. She was only in like three issues. Right. She feels like she purposely made herself a background character in the story that she is fundamentally the reason it happens. Right. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you'd expect her to be at the center of it, but mm. she even like in this new life, she made herself like just a human, not really something big, not something people would focus on. She just stayed behind, just focused on her kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say if I told you that this comic kind of changed everything for Marvel? That this was like the first big summer event and put into motion like a comic industrial complex of of having these giant stories that would happen every year, usually around the summer. Sometimes, of course, they would extend due to delays on the book or or whatnot. But if this was the start of a trend at Marvel that would continue for the next 10 years, would you think this is like a good, solid foundation to to base that off of? I mean, I think this is a pretty decent crossover comic. And I think this is like one of the first ones they ever did, right? Because... From what I know, the first Secret Wars was their first time where they like blended all the different areas of Marvel into one. Mm. And I think this is a pretty decent first try at it. And I can see why it was successful because it's like, oh, my God, the X-Men, the Avengers. Oh, my God, these two great books interacting and under Bendis, who is like a lot of people's favorite writer at the time. So I, I can I can see why this blew up. Right. My one of my favorite things about this book is how like self-contained it was, right? Like it felt like a real like alternate reality type deal where there wasn't five issues of the Amazing Spider-Man title dedicated to this book. There was a five issue miniseries dedicated to this book. Like that was the time. Mm-hmm. There wasn't uh, you know, three months, four months on Fantastic Four that got its own book. I think the only book that really jumps out is like having a, a proper tie-in issue is one issue of Captain America where it's just like catching up with Steve and like explaining why Steve isn't a bigger part of, of this book. And I just, I love how self-contained it is. And I think that's like one of its big strengths and all these years later makes it pretty easy to read. Mm -hmm. Cause you get to choose which parts you're interested in. Like, Oh, what the fuck is up with Tony Stark? Like, that's weird. Oh, like he is the boss of Hank Pym and Hank McCoy. Oh, what's, what's that situation? Like, Oh, like they're bragging about him being a, you know, staving off like this big, hostile takeover and like he's like a business hero okay what's that like and so you you get to choose which parts of the story you really want to delve into you say that peter parker was the pov character do you think he is the pov character or do you think wolverine is the pov character 
I think Wolverine was kind of the main character, but I don't like when we first entered House of or like uh, the House of M universe, mm-hmm. and then when we left it for the first time, he was like he was kind of our windows. That's how we knew what happened. He was the first character we saw experiencing what happened. So that's kind of why I think he's a POV character. Plus, I think like out of all the characters, like the trauma they experienced from this new life, he kind of got the worst of it, or at least we kind of saw him experience the worst of it. Mm-hmm. Like he was begging Dr. Strange at the end to like erase uh, his memories. Yeah. That's such a brutal scene. Like him like pounding the table and like destroying the table. It's just like, man, he really mm-hmm. fucking went through it uh, <laughs> during this. Um, it's, it's an interesting book. Cause I feel like the first half is very much an X-Men book. And I feel like the second half is very much an Avengers book. Right. Like once Wolverine like gets connected to Luke Cage, then it kind of, I feel like the X-Men become almost secondary characters just to everyone else. And it's so interesting that this is right on the heels of New Avengers. So like the the two main characters that we deal with, you're right, are Wolverine and Spider-Man, who were the new people to the Avengers, right? Where it really was mm-hmm. them assembling like, oh, let's take all of our most popular characters and actually add them to the Avengers book. Like, I understand the, the logic behind like, oh, no, Spider-Man's kind of a loner. No one likes him. So he can't be in this team book. It wouldn't make sense. And they're like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just let's just see what happens. And then you get this event that's centered around those two people. And so Wolverine's big thing coming out of this book was he remembers his entire life, right? Like all the mind wipes, all that shit is finally gone. And he just remembers every waking moment. And there's a lot of fallout from that. There's a good, I think it's called Origins and Endings, which is like a, a Wolverine tie-in, like aftermath book to this that uh like had him going up against Bucky Winter Soldier for shit that like went down years ago and it was like a revenge arc it was really good and then spider-man i don't really feel like dealt with this a lot in his main book it would all kind of come come to a head one more day no this was two years before one more day oh i thought one more day was like like this caused one more day to even happen no 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 that was tied into civil war and like the end of civil war so that is that's the thing is like that's when it comes to a head but like you're still dealing with like the the end of the jms run for two years before you get to one more day and the great reset that happens there um okay have you read any other like big event comics from from this era like secret invasion civil war yeah like i read them all during my avengers reading okay can i can i ask why you skipped this one then since it was like one of the first i guess people just kept like People who I usually agreed with just kept saying like, it like Wanda wasn't really handled that well, just like in Disassembled, and I didn't really like how she was handled in Disassembled, really. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think she was handled a lot better here. Not great, but a lot better. Yeah, she seemed so less. Yeah, she seemed less like deliberate here, right? Like it seemed less personal here than than in Disassembled, where it seemed like she was, like, angry at the Avengers, like, subconsciously. And here she was like, no, like, I tried to give everyone everything they wanted. Like, they said it would be okay. Did you think it was Magneto the entire time that was pulling the strings? Honestly, I did not. I didn't expect it to be Pietro. That shit, like, <laughs> I-, I was actually very surprised that it was him. Mm-hmm. I I actually never got spoiled by that about that part. I don't know. Oh really? Know, but... Oh damn! Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> you dodged so many bullets. You're as fast as Pietro dodging all those. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I was really looking for hints 
revisiting this book. And there's like one page that I completely forgot. Like Magneto kills Pietro in this book. Mm-hmm. I like completely missed that the first time I read this book and probably most times since I reread it. And then like last night I was like, son of a bitch. Like he killed his son for what he did with House of M. And then Wanda comes by and just like bloop, reality shift and then like manages to bring him back. It's pretty fun. There's a whole bunch of uh, like fallout books from this. And one of them is Son of M, which is just Pietro dealing with like the fallout of being the the reason all this bad shit happened. And it's just him burning like every single bridge he has left in his life. I think that might be a book we we should cover on on this show down the road. But um, any characters stand out to you? Any cool moments that you specifically want to shout out? I don't know if this is a cool moment, but I um so I kind of always like make a joke about how Pietro almost never interacts with his own daughter. He like mm-hmm. he has a daughter in canon for like decades. Yeah. And he almost just never interacts with her and he's just like a deadbeat dead. And I, I I found it funny how in this universe where everybody got what they wanted, he's he, his, his kid is just nowhere to be found. Nowhere around. Yeah, it's him and Crystal, right? No, it's Luna. He has it with Crystal. Yeah, has it with Crystal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah they the, boy, they touch on that and son of them. Don't worry. <laughs> um, uh, that is really funny. It, any characters like stick out to you visually? I guess because this was I think I think I talked about this on the first part of this podcast with uh, with Stokes. But man, I just love the way Olivia Capel draws people. I just think like they're all like really broad shouldered. I think they look really interesting. I love the coloring that's done on them. Like something about this book just like feels right to me. Like this era of like Marvel House style is what I think of when I close my eyes. Any any of these characters jump out that you just thought looked especially cool? I loved how she drew Carol because like the thing about that Miss Marvel suit is it's not bad, but it's one of those costumes that almost like no artist really gets it right for me mm-hmm. it's because like sometimes they just take like take the whole re- suit being revealing a little too far yeah but she did really well with it and i liked how carol was drawn and wolverine was kind of my favorite in the entire book look wise it's kind of like he's not ugly but he's not not ugly he's kind of like perfect exactly how i like him yeah they a little more distance from like the hugh jackman era of just like oh let's make wolverine like one of the sexiest people on the planet Mm-hmm. plus he looked kind of stubby i liked his expressions and there's this um one page where he's hiding in the shadows and i i love i love how it's drawn mm-hmm. I, I i don't know where it is i think it's um when he's it like he's hiding he's trying to find someone i i, I forget which issue it is all right uh let's talk about the end of the book and what it sets up i think one of the frustrating things about these event books is like the climax usually happens in the second to last issue, the penultimate book. And then the Mm -hmm. next issue is them dealing with the fallout for the first half. And then just like laying tracks for where shit's going right for the next year. It almost feels like a big wrestling event where like all roads lead to WrestleMania and then stuff happens at WrestleMania. But it's like, dude, you think this is big. You need to check out backlash in five weeks or whatever you know like it's always about the next thing it's like the mcuification of of the comics where like the man the last 20 minutes are super important for the next movie it's like you think things popped off here mm-hmm. just just you wait brother is there any thing that you haven't read post house of them that you feel compelled to go back and check out now because of the way this book ended uh probably x-men because i kind of i mean i've I've read everything post M Day. Like I've 
read the whole Messiah trilogy and stuff, but I kind of didn't read any of the stuff leading into this book or after this book, like Astonishing X-Men. I kind of just read New X-Men and then that's it. So I kind of want to go back to that, read that, and read the Wolverine stuff you mentioned because I didn't even know he got all his memories back after this. Yeah, yeah, he did. And then this was, I think they started like a new Wolverine ongoing alongside the other Wolverine ongoing. It's called like Wolverine Origins, I'm pretty sure. I think that book is mostly skippable, but I was there every day it came out because they usually had like a Michael Turner cover and that, that guy was mm-hmm. my, my dude. Um, Son of M, I think is like a good book to check out. X Factor uh, dealing with Layla Miller is an excellent book to check out. Uh, let's see the, the new Avengers stuff. They dealt with that in the collective, which I think was like, honestly kind of an underwhelming arc of that book. Mm-hmm. It was like this big omnipowerful dude, like up in Alaska and Canada, whatever. Um and the X-Men stuff, there's like a whole bunch, there's like an apocalypse story that happens immediately after this. And one of my favorite covers ever of like Wolverine on the head of a Sentinel. And it's like the entire cover's dark, except for like the the sparks coming from like Wolverine's claws as he's like, you know, stabbing the head of the Sentinel. Some really, really good books. But then this is where, because of like the No More Mutants ending, this is where shit starts mm-hmm. to deviate a little bit too. And becomes like a little bit more insulated i guess from the rest of the the marvel universe but like this sort of this led to messiah complex right like that was like the first big crossover mm-hmm. they reintroduced it after taking like 10 years off and man just uh exciting times this was like such a fun era of books just because it seemed like everything was pretty well connected generally yeah i can i can see that i i kind of this might be my favorite era for marvel from what i've read so far because i i've only really read the post 90s stuff mm-hmm. But this is definitely my favorite era, especially for like all the books, honestly. Yeah, firing on all cylinders. But I do think that like the era we're in currently right now is, if not the best, then the second best of Marvel. I, I could not be happier with the books that are coming out right now. So I agree. Almost every ongoing right now is like a 10 out of 10. There yeah, are some yeah. like areas I want to explore, but overall, I'm pretty satisfied. Yeah, so before we wrap up, um, just because we don't really talk about modern comics a lot on on this book, or sorry, on this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, any any recos? Is there anything you think people should be checking out that's hitting the stands right now? Let me look at my list. I think people should check out Vigil. The first issue is out right now. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. It's by Ram V, and it's, it's a really good setup, really good introduction to the characters of this run. It's not really, really connected to the wider DC universe right now, but I don't think it needs to be. It, it's standing on its own right now, so I'm mm. I'm eagerly waiting for the next issue. And same for Doom Patrol. It's almost on its fourth issue right now, and um, Dennis Culver is a new writer, and he's doing really, really well. And it's gearing up to be like me, maybe my favorite Doom Patrol run since oh, wow. um, Morrison. Yeah. Uh, damn, that's saying something. Any any big Marvel books come to mind for uh, can't miss reading right now? Yep, Captain America. I know you're reading that right now, but Sentinel of Liberty and Symbol of Truth are both runs people should check out right now, especially since they're in the middle of this amazing event called Cold War. Mm-hmm. These those two Captain America books are awesome, and they really do feel like they belong to this era of Marvel too. Like just the way everything's written does feel very post nine eleven. Uh, like postmodern takes on just like no who are the real villains of of this world is it the the sorcerer who can like summon a dragon from this x dimension or is it uh fucking corporatists playing a game with people's lives and it's <laughs> you know like it's just 
it it, it feels very mid 2000s in a in a very fun way and mm-hmm. i kind of see the sentinel of liberty run the steve run as like a modern brubaker because it gives me a lot of the same feels but um kind of more time to sit with the characters or the new cast of characters that were introduced mm-hmm. so very cool. Thank you for for mentioning those books. Do you want to share your Twitter handle so people can can get in touch with you and and see more of your opinions on comics and jump into spaces with you? Oh sure. Um, my at on Twitter is Jojo Talks Comics, and I talk a lot about the comics I'm reading, which is a lot because I like to get through shit very quick. It's it's I'm so fucking jealous, man, because like I'll be at work and I'll be like, God, I'm so bored. Let me go on Twitter. And it's just like you like, oh, I just read the last 20 issues of the Mark Wade Flash. And I'm like, son of a bitch, I'd rather be doing that than my job right now. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, if I had Joe's time, I would read every issue of like, you know, Kyle Green Lantern, like just 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 to see what that shit was all about. And like, I've read a lot of it. I haven't read all of it, but damn, do I want to cross it off my list? So to follow Joe on his on his comic adventures, check out Jojo Read Comics on on Twitter. Joe, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you for reading this book. Thank you for trusting me to uh, to read it. I appreciate. Thank you for that. having me. I really enjoyed this. My first yeah. time doing this, and it was fun. Yeah, man. Uh, well, shit. Read some of those X Men books. I'll I'll send like some some recommended reading lists to you. And if anything you dig, we'll we'll have you back on the show to talk about it. Okay. Thank you. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you, Joe. Bye bye. Welcome back to Shortbox Summary. Our next guest returning to Shortbox after a few months away, we've got Richard. Richard, how's it, how's it going? It's good. It's good. I get to read comics again. It's fun. You get to read comics again. Also, really quick, we, you're making comics. You got uh, XYs of Frankenstein coming out soon, right? On on Kickstarter? Yeah, um, that'll launch, I think, mid-August. Very cool. All right. So people listening now can look it up. They can follow. I've read it. It is excellent. It is beautiful. It is harrowing. It is interesting. So I recommend picking it up to anyone who's curious about Frankenstein or the ex-wives thereof, Frankenstein. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a weird book that is like strangely like I, it was it was gonna be a little one-off thing, and now it's like captivating me more than anything else I'm doing. So yeah, probably a good sign. Very cool. Richard, enough about your book. Let's talk about House of Ends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. I feel bad. I feel like you've only come on to talk about blockbuster books. And so the first book you talked about was Batman Hush, which we weren't too receptive of all these years later, but it was a really no, big deal. Not. Really big deal at the time. And now you're yeah. back to talk House of M. House of M, the first real big summer blockbuster. I think this is the first time a comic book felt like a movie from Marvel that wasn't like a, a side book, right? Like it wasn't the Ultimates. It wasn't um, a Max title, which felt more like an HBO Sunday night programming show. But this felt like an actual movie summer blockbuster. How did you feel revisiting House of M? I, I feel like it was... At the at the time, I remember when it was coming out, people were talking about it like that, but they were also talking about it like it was a return to something that used to happen. Um, and like I was relatively new to comics. I've been reading for like two or three years. And so it sort of felt like uh, I th- like people kept talking about it as like big, like the big reminiscent um, like crossover events and things. Mm-hmm. And I really hadn't seen those. So I kind of just assumed that this was a return to form. Um, I think. Like, what's weird for me about this one is, like, you know how everyone now talks about how writers get all of the attention and everything is about the writer and no one cares about the artist and blah, blah, blah. 
back then it was the exact opposite and every everything was like everyone every writer complained things were artist focused right yeah i think having read this like in full this morning i think this book might be the tipping point where that changed interesting this, this book feels like a fight between a writer and an artist what makes you say that do you have any any examples to say um like okay i think everyone can look back and be critical of how much dialogue bendis uses in a page and things like that but this like bendis was such a huge deal as a writer everyone was talking about him as this guy who doesn't write comics like their comics and he has all of this like excessive dialogue in there but this is the first time where you're really seeing um dialogue is being put ahead of the artwork in terms of like they're just randomly covering shit up like there are pages where there's like one page early on like where the x-men first walk in where the last panel you can only see the tops of their heads because they like had to push it down to put more dialogue above it interesting okay there's like so many scenes where uh in a in a comic now you would see four or five panels to have some back and forth. And instead you have this complicated thing where the letterer is trying to have to put in like nine different word balloons looping around each other. And it's usually pretty unclear who is saying what and in what order. And because everyone's pretty repetitive, it doesn't matter that much, mm -hmm. but it, it, it just, yeah, it feels like a fight. That's really interesting because I always think I, I know Bendis gets a lot of flack for filling a page full of words. But the thing about Bendis, he does that, but it, it reads so fast you like don't notice it, right? Like your eyes roll, you're like, fuck, dude really took up a lot of words here. But you just you skim through it because it's, you know, a mile long but an inch deep, right? Like yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily dense writing. There's only there's one point in it where you know I, I got to the point about issue six, I think. Uh where I was like starting to count down the pages each time. And then it was in issue eight. There's the, the two pages where, where uh, Iceman reveals that he doesn't have his powers anymore. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking I, I was, I counted down. I've got 14 pages to go. Okay. I can handle this. And then I was like, I must've read about half of that. I read it. I counted again. I had 10 pages to go. I was like, I feel like I spent half an hour on those four pages, but again, I shouldn't have read all eight issues in one sitting. That was probably my mistake. Yeah, this book, I think it came out like bi-weekly. So like you actually got like a bit of a break, but it still had kind of a snappy pace to it as it was coming out. And did you like you're a big like Marvel fan, right? Or like big, like you don't have a really cool podcast where you go back to comics from the 2000s. But uh, like you're familiar with like the general Marvel lore, right? So like when there was the yeah. scene about like Peter being married to Gwen, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is this is different. Yeah. And that felt good. like that that stuff felt like I, I really enjoyed all I really enjoyed that that um that's the second issue, right? Where they kind of jump through everything and show yeah. all the changes. Yeah. I thought that was kind of the high point of it. Um I find like since seeing WandaVision, I find a lot of this like this was the thing that I remembered when I was watching WandaVision, and I remember thinking, like, I think the comic did this better. And now going back and looking at it, I'm like, I don't think it did. Right. It's interesting because this had a lot of tie-ins, but a lot of the tie-ins were like mini-series, right? Like it wasn't like, oh, let's take over Amazing Spider-Man for the duration of this event, right? Like there was a five-issue mini-series that just dealt with, you know, Peter Parker's new life in the House of M world. 
And then there'd be like a random Captain America issue where he's just like, you know, never fell in the ice, got to live out his life. He's now a sad old man who can't can't help the heroes anymore. Yeah. Do you think that just because I know you, we have a lot of conversations about like the the industry of comics. Do you think that's like the actual approach, like the the right way to go about it as far as like tie ins and the way they interact with like an ongoing book? Yeah, because I think that way, like you can read the book without having to um, like two things. You can you can read the book without having to read the tie ins and you can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And two, if you're not interested in reading the book, it doesn't ruin every other title for you. Great. Remember when um, uh, there was some big Batman event and like not not Hush, but like a maybe like Bruce Wayne Fugitive or something. And mm-hmm. there were so many things that you had to read along the way. Otherwise, you would just have no idea. And then the end of the story happens like nine months later in another title. And you're like, I guess I have to read that. I'm not going to. And yeah. <laughs> if I was reading the ordinary version of that story, I would be very annoyed that suddenly I was being interrupted by some other thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, this series would end, or this story would end in Nightwing issue eighty six. Why? Why wouldn't it? Of course. Uh, was this book successful? Like, not in terms of like monetary or, or whatever, but like, was it a successful story? You said that like it it peaked with issue two, but like overall, how how are we feeling start to finish about this book? I actually really liked it. I um I wanted to go in and be like critical and grumpy because I, like as I said before, we started recording. I think this was the thing that stopped me. Uh, collecting comics mm-hmm. um which like there was other stuff going on in my life that kind of got in the way as well but like this was the tipping point where i was like i don't i don't feel like i need to care about this uh and looking back at it now i think it's like there is some bad comic storytelling in it and i think that is the writer artist battle mm-hmm. but i think that like the actual story is a fun romp and the solution is pretty simple and it opens up like we were all promised that this was going to be the end of something huge and then it opens up something much bigger because I wasn't reading, but I remember hearing about it. This is where there's like only 192 mutants left, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really cool. And I want, like, I actually, I, when I finished this, I wanted to read more of that stuff and I probably will. One thing I did think was interesting though, is like, this is after the first X-Men movie, but before this, is it before the second one or before the third one? Before the third one. This is right after okay. the, like a year or two after the second one. So is this just like that Wolverine is so popular now that he just gets to be the lead in every story? Is that what's happening? Pretty much. Yeah, that was the idea behind New Adventures, the comic, where it was like, hey, like these aren't our most popular characters. Like all due respect to Captain America and Iron Man. And, you know, I think she was going by Warbird at that time, Captain Marvel now. Like, let's get our our heavy hitters here. And like, that's when they brought Wolverine into the team. That's when they brought Spider-Man into the team and like tried to figure out a way tonally to make it work. And so they did that by killing off like the traditional heart of the Avengers, right? When Wanda snapped and Vision died and and Ant-Man died and all this shit. And then this really felt like them doubling down on their, their biggest pieces. And it like, it's a weird sort of proto corporate consolidation, I guess. Right. Like Mm -hmm. happening within Marvel where it was like, no, let's just take our most icon. Like, who sells the most fucking lunch boxes? We got to get them all in a book together. Yeah, but like, just really the the retooling of Wolverine in this because you know I've been listening back to old episodes of your show, and there's so much stuff even like just a few years earlier where Wolverine is just the grossest, stinkiest dirtbag. Yeah, he is a completely unlikable character, and now in this one, like, he has so many for want of a better term, like so many save the cat moments mm-hmm. that are just designed to make us love him. And 
like also listening to your show, this is not the first story in recent memory where Wolverine has been the only one who really knows what's going on, and we're going to follow him through an entire adventure. Mm-hmm. Not the last one either, but it's weird too because like those books you're referencing, like those are written by Bendis. Like I think the two biggest Wolverine stories we talked about were Secret War with Fabio, like early on in the show, mm-hmm. and then more recently the Pulse, right? Where like. Mm-hmm jessica jones is trying to find luke cage and goes up north and finds wolverine he's just drunk and hitting on her and then he's just like a gross fucking perv trying to sleep with like the stewardess right like on in uh in secret war and here he's like almost like a borderline like respectable like father figure almost like the way he interacts with layla right he's just like oh i like the song and she's like what no and it's just like that's such like a fucking dad moment you know (laughs) and and like also like like his his first act is like he sees the human and they're like gonna burn her clothes off and so he like goes in to rescue her from a sexual assault Mm -hmm. which is a very cheap way of getting us on his side yeah um and then like when uh is it, I, I can't remember if it was when, when Peter gets his con, you know, his memory back or when it, Scott gets his memory back. Wolverine says, I'll go talk to him. Like, can you imagine Wolverine from two years earlier being the person you would want to talk to after a trauma? Yeah. No, he's he's my moral compass right now. He can help me through this. Yeah. Oh, that drunk Canadian guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I trust him. Did you think the Peter stuff was effective? In, in, in this story, like, especially, like, at the end when he's just, like, begging to, like, have his own memory wiped because he just doesn't want to deal with, like, the guilt of his heart's desire being married to Gwen instead of MJ. I think that was a, a real, a real, like, I can see what he was trying to do and it didn't land. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the letterer's fault. Um, because, you know, no, it's, you know, it's a mix. It's Bendis' fault and the letterer's fault because, like, Spider-Man has his quips, you know how he does, and they're never good and they're never funny, especially when Bendis writes them. Um, and that's not true. Ultimate Spider-Man, fine, but like in in like whatever the regular universe, Spider-Man is always a little bit just he's he's screeched from Saved by the Bell, and I hate him for it. <laughs> um, so he's like had like seven of these things, and then that last one that he delivers feels like a quip again. He's like, oh, maybe you can wipe my memory while you're at it, you know, and then. They say no, and he just screams it, and it becomes like it's so immediately intense. The lettering is all big and red and jagged, mm-hmm. and looks like a, a sound effect. And it's like, oh, he has feelings. And I would believe that Peter had feelings, but with a Spider-Man mask on, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, maybe it would have been as simple as if he just taken his mask off for that scene, it would have felt right. Um, and I do, I get it. Like, he's that, that's a tough thing for him to deal with. Um, I assume that the uh, ending is also the reveal that Hawkeye is going to come back. I, I guess that happens. Uh, yes, it does. In like 10 issues or something in New Avengers, there's like a little little side story that I'm excited to get to. That might just be a single issue to talk about that or a single episode just to talk about that one issue. I think that'd be fun to just really d- dive deep into one. Um, it's It felt weird because like it was like he sort of like cleared the table at the end of Avengers Disassembled and then just brought back Hawkeye like within a year basically mm-hmm. um so like that feels I guess like a little cheap in hindsight but still at the same time like I was 14 15 when this book was coming in I was just like holy shit he's back you like I thought that was like really really good but like as a, a jaded 32 year old just smoking heaters all the time you know mm-hmm. um yeah I mean I don't think I'd actually ever encountered Hawkeye in a story when I first read Avengers Disassembled so his death meant nothing to me. That's fair. Yeah. 
I think it was like mostly he was like a stand-in for an era, right? Like, cause like you killed Ant Man, who was there at the beginning of the Avengers. I know it was a different Ant Man, but like thematically, it was that Ant Man. And then you have Hawkeye, who was like the second tier, not second, the second string Avengers, right? Because like everyone leaves, and then it's just Cap and Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver, and that was like the second generation of Avengers. And then you got Vision, who died, who was like I guess the third generation, mm-hmm. right? So I think it was just like them. Like, not unlike uh, DC, like at Infinite Crisis, like, oh, let's fucking murder a pregnant Sue Dibney just to let you guys know for sure that the Silver Age is over. Yeah. I think also one thing that really threw me off um, rereading this is the relationship between Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Uh, this was around the same time as the Ultimates, right? And yeah. in that, those two are fucking. Absolutely, yeah. And, like... I don't think the first time I read this, I had like kind of clicked that they weren't fucking in the main universe. Mm-hmm. And I think this might have actually been the first time I found out they were brother and sister. Oh, and so I like, okay. and because he has all the moments of like, we'll never be together again, I think I read it the first time through being like, oh, they don't get to fuck anymore. And I'm meant to be sad that the incest is going to be leaving the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. But like reading it with like the broader context now, I'm like, oh, he's just like a brother who's really sad because his sister's going to have to die probably. Right. I assume she never actually dies and everything gets put right and, and somehow they find Charles somewhere. When you're gonna have to listen to Shortbox Summer to find out. Um, real <laughs> quick question. I know you're into um Silver Foxes, Silver Daddies. Mm-hmm. How good did uh Magneto look in this book? I hated him, hated him so much. What? I hate this <laughs> uh this is this is like it's that what if Rob Liefeld was better art? Like it's that uh he he looks like supreme he looks like long-haired supreme whose arms don't move mm-hmm. um his all i could think was like it looks like someone started drawing a cartoon lion and then was like now nah, i'm gonna make it a person instead like he's got a real like thundercats energy to him and his head is so fucking wide all i could think about was he cannot put on his magneto helmet <laughs> Well, good. He retired after the uh, painstaking events of New X-Men. So that's good. No longer Magneto. I thought for sure you would have been like, not that like, I think Richard Gere is like your type, but like, he just seemed like a fucking buff gym daddy, Richard Gere. No, everyone in this is just so bulky. It's like really off-putting. That's so interesting. Like, uh, you're a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. And so I just I remember this book. Like I thought this was the prettiest fucking comic I'd ever seen in my entire life. Like uh, Olivier Coppel, like this French dude. Uh, first got really big with like the cross gen titles of like the mid and late nineties. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm like ninety nine percent sure that's right. Don't don't quote me on it. But man, I thought this book was great. And then like rereading it, I, I thought it was so interesting. You're I I totally see what you mean about like the battle between the art and the writer. Because, like, there's just so many just, like, little snippets where there's, like, a big, big panel and then just, like, a little tiny square happening to, like, highlight a smaller moment as opposed to, like, it being, I guess, like, a smoother telegraph of, like, what the action is supposed to be. Like, it just kind of felt like, oh, fuck, well, if the words are going there, then we have to put this here. Like, it really did feel like copy and paste, like, uh, the collage style, like, rearranging just to try to help the story be more clear. And there are there are panels everywhere where people's faces are completely covered by balloons. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even it's not even like they're just kind of like uh, pushing against them. There's no effort made to like show as much face as possible. It's like here's a shot of six people and four of them you can just see the backs of their heads wrapping around the words. Right. 
I don't know. It's like, it's one of these things where like, there are parts of it where it feels really beautiful. And there are these like moments that look iconic. Um, you know, the, the Magneto emerging through the fog at one point, or like when the, when the uh, X-Men first walk in and like those things look really good. Like he's an incredibly talented artist, but then there are these other weird bits, like at the end when, when, Wanda is like whatever her final scene is mm. and like you're like where is she and I had to stop and really think like is she meant to be in some kind of weird fairy tale world where people have giant faces because if you look in those panels there's like all of these photo references that have, that have clearly been used to paint or draw these faces onto these people that are like four times the size of what their heads should be and everything looks like big creepy pantomime masks Maybe I'm paying too much attention. No, no, no. This is great. Um, huh. I think Stokes was more high on this book than you are. Not to say you're not high on this book, but at least like the way this conversation's going, I'd say you'd probably give it like a like a C, right? I would. I would. I would give it like a solid seven. Seven out of ten. Okay, damn. Yeah. Um, sweet. <laughs> but still, you sounded more down on it than Stokes did. I thought for sure this would have been. I, I thought when I talked with Stokes, it just would have been like, uh, "Let me tell you why Bendis sucks for twenty minutes." No, this, he, like this has all of the reasons that Bendis sucks in it. Like I get why people get annoyed at Bendis. I like Bendis a lot, mm -hmm. but it, like this has absolute peak Bendis for the good stuff of like telling a story that keeps me incredibly engaged. Right. I mean, I, it took I, me four I, days I, to read Hush. It took me an hour and a half to read this, and they're very similar in length. Mm -hmm. uh, I agree that like that this is the perfect highlight of why someone hates Bendis, but also this is like reinforcement of why I love Bendis. Like I, I think this stuff because like it really did feel like it almost feels like an MCU movie, right? In the sense of like the jokes and like the the speed of it all, where like it it feels like this was the proto formula for all those yeah. movies, right? Yeah. <sighs> Richard, thank you so much for coming on Shortbox. I really appreciate it. Good to see you. Good to hear from you again. Uh, please go to kickrichard.com to uh, yep. get information on Richard's upcoming books. XYs of Frankenstein, like you said, releasing in August. I read it. I'm going to reread it again just because I've been thinking about that book every night before I go to bed. Not in like a, a dirty way, but just in like a thought provoking, like, holy fuck, what? Like, it was a very introspective book just on the nature of relationships. And I thank found you. it fascinating and i can't wait to uh to go back to it talk to you soon richard thanks for coming by thanks hello internet welcome back to shortbox summary our next guest is one of my favorite twitter follows we've got amaya she is at chewy danvers on twitter and amaya is one of my favorite people to follow because she reads a lot of books man she is just constantly checking out books uh just crossing them off her backlog and uh, you can recommend a series to her she will check it out and actually give you an in-depth honest opinion on it you recently read all of dr afra completely caught up on that book and i want to say like a week which is pretty amazing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> did a, did my summary of her hold true is she just lesbian scumbag indiana jones in space Yes, perfect summary. And <laughs> that summary is, is actually what, what made me want to get into it, too. So great, concise. Very cool. Very cool. Well, you're here to talk about House of M. Uh, do you have a history with House of M? Because I know you've read a ton of Marvel. I know you skew Marvel Cosmic. Yeah. House of M is actually one of the first. I think it is the very first event that I read when I when I started reading um comics. So it was fun to, like, 
start i mean it was fun to go back and read it again now for this mm-hmm. um, so yeah very cool and you've read a ton of events how does this stack up compared to other events i have to assume annihilation is still your number one event correct yeah yeah definitely <laughs> underneath um the the cosmic saga you you know like space is my thing all those cosmic events they really top my list but house of m in terms of earth events i think is is one of the better ones mm-hmm. I know your favorite character is Captain Marvel, is Carol Danvers. Uh, this was sort of like the reintroduction of her to the greater Marvel universe. How do you feel about this book as a Carol story? I like what it did for her character. I like how it propelled her run forward, which is actually why I read it um, so early on in my like comic reading journey was because I was reading for Carol and I was like, okay, I feel like this story is kind of important for her. So let me go back and see... Um, what happened here so yeah I I loved it for her I love what it did for her and the stories that it you know created for her so yeah Mm -hmm. and one of the main spinoff books from this event was that Miss Marvel series from 2005 2006 I want to say yep and so I hope uh you'll be open to coming back to short box as we uh, dive into that book in the future but I guess there there was a moment in a recent comic between Carol and um and Scarlet Witch do you feel like that moment where it was basically like Carol admitting that she was afraid she's going to turn into Scarlet Witch someday just because of like your powers out of control. And then ostensibly Scarlet Witch, like kind of forgiving her for feeling that way. And then also just like reassuring her that like, no, like you're a different kind of hero. Do you feel like that has roots going back to this event? Definitely. I think their relationship is so complicated, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because of like Avengers 200 and like Carol feeling like Wanda abandoned her. And then, um, their relationship kind of rekindling and like the music stuff and then this and I feel like their relationship is kind of defined by turmoil and I definitely think that moment where you know she said you know I don't what she realizes she doesn't want to turn into Wanda per se is like just a direct callback to this mm-hmm. I try not to talk about Marvel like modern Marvel books too much on this podcast because I am trying to take a look but it was just like I saw that moment I was like I know exactly what the fuck they're talking about (laughs) (laughs) so it's just it was nice to see that this thing that meant so much to me when I was like 15 when this book was coming out like oh this shit still matters 17 years later 18 years later that's really cool to see um let's just talk about the event in general what do you think of like alternate reality stories are are you a fan being cosmic because it's it's cosmic adjacent i understand it's not quite cosmic but it's it's near there because it's the fundamental underpinnings of the universe being screwed with yeah i i think alternate reality stories are really cool um especially when the, you kind of have something like where realities are kind of like messing with each other i guess in terms of like hickman avengers you know esque things but I, I think alternate realities are really cool and I think that this story has a lot going for it when you kind of see you get like it, it starts and you're surprised because you're like okay why is Peter in the bed with a blonde woman oh my gosh who is that is that Gwen you know like what's going on right. and you get further into it and you're like wow like this place is so different than what we know and then you kind of realize like, okay, everybody seems happy and chipper and they're like, no problems. Like what is going on here? Um, So I, I think that alternate reality stories are really cool, especially when they're involving characters that, you know, you're really familiar with. And then you see this character so out of their element. Mm-hmm. Um, That's something that I kind of enjoy about it, especially like in terms of Carol here, because like Carol in this era was not, you know, did not have all these great things going for her. So you see her here and she's like the most popular superhero in the world. And it's like, whoa, you know, 
how do we get here? Right. We were. Especially because I mean, that was like the key point, right? It was her realizing like, oh, fuck, like I I should be a tier, right? right? Like I, I, sh- I should be like one of the premier superheroes. I've got the the power to do it. I just need the uh, the motivation to do it. And uh, it, it was just so interesting, like the characters they choose to elevate and the characters they choose to de-escalate, I guess, right? Because how many mutants lose their powers after this? And so it's, it oh, is sort God. of like a, a sort of a sacrifice, I guess. But uh, a really interesting one that uh, I really appreciate. What What are your thoughts on Bendis? I know you've read a lot of Bendis books. Um, I definitely have <laughs> opinions uh, about Bendis, you know, because of like the later, you know, Civil War II era things. Mm-hmm. But I do think early 2000s Bendis did a lot of great stuff. I personally really love New Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I don't even love, I don't love everything he did with Carol there, but I think the book itself was great. I'm a fan of like Secret Invasion and like the build up for Secret Invasion. Um, I really like Siege a lot. So I think a lot of that early 2000s Bendis stuff, um, I, I really enjoy. Do you think we'll ever see anything like this again? I think you're more caught up on current books than I am. Like, I know you especially lean like really hard into the Krakoa X-Men stuff. But I, I put this podcast together just because I think this era is particularly special because it just felt like such a smooth uh, like uh, through line from like House of M felt like it actually dovetailed really nice into the Civil War, felt like it dovetailed really nice into World War Hulk, felt like it dovetailed really nice, like even Annihilation and like why the heroes weren't involved with that. Like that was kind of explained by Civil War happening and consuming all their attention into uh siege like do you think we're ever going to see that kind of editorial organization again like I really don't and yeah. I, I partially it's just because like since bendis was writing everything um on, like happening on earth he was able to tie those stories in together mm-hmm. and now we have so many different writers so many different creators i just don't think that we'll ever get that like synergy again i agree did you dip into any of the tie-ins whatsoever with house of m um, I read the ones that were like in the books I was reading. So like the ones in New Avengers, I guess, I don't know if that was a House of Ent- Tie-In specifically, but like the stuff with the collective. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was one in like a Captain, in the Brubaker Captain America. Oh uh, yeah, that I- issue 10, <laughs> which is like yeah. not collected in any cap book. And it's really such a bummer because it's so cool just seeing like, oh, this is his ideal life. This is what would have happened. And um, yeah, just seeing that like reflected in the movies too, I guess, right? Like, is that basically <laughs> what would happen at the end of Endgame? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any more I've read. I, I can't think off the, off the top of my head. Like they had a bunch of miniseries too. Like Fantastic Four had some. Spider Man had one. Utopia X, I think, was just like looking at the world at large. And then a lot of the spinoffs from here. Like uh, I'm very excited because after this, I think we're gonna do some hardcore X Men reading. And the uh, X Men Deadly Genesis was like a spinoff of of this somehow from from Brew Baker. I actually have not read that yet, so I I need to. Oh man, that's the first appearance of your boy Vulcan. Yeah, I don't I don't know why I didn't read it while I was reading everything else. Um, but now I have the War of Kings Omni, and I think that's in there. I would assume so. God, what a what a character. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my final thoughts on House of M. How would how would you rank it? And um if if someone said I wanted to get into comics, I wanted like a big blockbuster event, 
how many would you recommend before you recommended House of M? That is a good question. So let me think. I definitely recommend House of M before I recommended like Civil War. Um, so let's see. It's already a t- on top of that. Mm. I would I would want to recommend somebody's Secret Invasion, but I feel like you just have to read the build up before. So I think I'd say House of M before that too. Oh damn. Okay. So you feel like this is a good like jumping on point for people. I think so, because I feel like you can just read it and kind of understand what's going on. But like Secret Invasion, I feel like you I don't want to, you know, talk to, about that too much. But I think you have to read the build up to really like enjoy mm-hmm. that. Event. Um, well, I would definitely recommend the Cosmic Saga before I recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking for sure. I was just like, well, there's a couple Silver Surfer books. I think she'd throw people's ways before before House of M. That's like five events before I, before I would recommend it. Uh, before. Before we wrap up, what uh, what are your favorite books on the stands right now? Ooh, Doctor Afra, mm-hmm. love. Um, let's see, what else am I reading? Doctor Strange, love. Ooh, Doctor Doctor, Fantastic Four. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Fantastic Four is amazing. Avengers, I'm really excited to see where that goes. So yeah, definitely check those out, people, if you're listening. Yeah, I think uh, issue two of Avengers just released or is about to release. Yep, it just released. Just released. All right, that means I need to get my book shipped from San Francisco because I love that first issue. I will, I I would buy a phone book that had Jed McKay's name on the front. You know, <laughs> like I, I trust that dude. I bought five variants for that issue. <laughs> five. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on Short Fox. You can follow Amaya and. Uh, Honestly, it's just so much fun to to see you on Twitter, uh, just because half your tweets are just like thirst traps for Carol Danvers, and the other half is just you, again, just crossing off every major backlog book that I'm sure everyone would be like, man, one day I really just want to read this, and you just sit down and actually do it. It's it's very encouraging to see. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, you can follow her at Chewy Danvers on Twitter. Thank you so much, Maya, and we'll have you back soon to talk about Miss Marvel. I at least want to touch on that opening arc from the Brian Reed, I think Aaron Lepresti team. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Maya. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hello, Internet. Welcome back to Shortbox Summary. Our next guest is Aaliyah. Aaliyah, welcome back to Shortbox Summary. Thank you so much for having me. No, I really appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) The pleasure is all mine. Aaliyah, you're here. You've unofficially, but officially, because I run this podcast, I just realized, and I can make it official, you've officially become the new Avengers correspondent on Shorebox Summary. Sounds great. This book is half Astonishing X-Men, half New Avengers. We are, of course, talking about House of M. Aaliyah, this is your first big comic book event. What did you think? I really, really liked it, and I didn't want to. Why didn't you want to? Just to spite you. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> just so we could have some uh, some friction in this episode. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, people love that shit. They love hearing boyfriend and girlfriend fight on a comic book podcast. That's why they're here. Listen, I'm a lawyer. There's always like one side versus another side. I love a good back and forth argument. Okay. It's not as as interesting when both people are like, I, I love it so much. You want to talk about the book? Sure. Okay. <laughs> What'd you think? Tell, walk, walk me through it. This is your first big event. You, this is the first non-ongoing title you've ever read, limited series. How'd you feel? Um, the first couple issues, I felt a little lost. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of characters that I was a little unfamiliar with. 
Um, but some characters I was familiar with from different media types, uh, mostly sure. the Marvel movies sure, and sure. TV shows. Um, I remember going to you, think maybe issue three or four and being like, am I missing something? And you kind of gave me a synopsis, and I was like, okay, no, 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 I get all this. <laughs> I understand everything that's uh, going I'm, on. I'm missing absolutely nothing. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm not supposed to know what I don't know. Okay. Did this feel different than the other books you've read? Like, those were ongoing. They were monthly. This, of course, was, I guess, semi-monthly. I think it was, like, once every two weeks. But this was supposed to be a story with a beginning, a middle, and end. Did you feel that way when you were reading it? I did. And it felt kind of, like, weightier- like, I think more was at stake. It was, like, I don't know, more of an intense storyline. Mm-hmm. More important than yeah. what we were covering before. Okay, that's good. Did it feel like a summer blockbuster movie? Kind of. Yeah? Yeah, it kind of felt like, oh my god, something giant has happened. Everyone needs to come together and, like, fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like is a basic storyline of many movies. Right. Like that is, you're not super familiar with a lot of these characters. Like I'm just wondering small things. Like, did did seeing Peter Parker married to Gwen Stacy did that mean anything to you? Uh the only thing it meant to me is that he wasn't married to Mary Jane. Right. And that I like vaguely remembered. That's like when I think Peter Parker, I think Mary Jane. Right. Okay. But other than that, I had no idea who Gwen Stacy was. Gotcha. Did it mean anything to you to see Captain America old and useless? Yeah, that was kind of precious. Yeah. Okay. When they got to him and they're like, eh, let him go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, let, let him live his old life, yeah. Also, it was interesting to me that that was, would be like his ideal, what he wanted mm-hmm. in his subconscious. Right, his, his, his fantasies, his, to, yeah, his ideal world. To live kind of a regular old life and become an old guy. Which is, like, kind of what happened in the movies. Right. Bullshit, I'm still mad about that in the fucking movies, to be honest. I think it's precious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, what if I told you that, like, there were a bunch of tie-ins for this book, right? But they were all miniseries. M- mostly miniseries. So, like, there's no amazing Spider-Man issues 520 to 526, whatever, dealing with House of M, but there is a Spider-Man House of M miniseries. You like this book. Do you have any interest if, if you were, let's say, reading this in, I don't know, the summer of 2005? And you pick this up just on a whim. Would you have uh, been compelled to to read more? Do you want to read more? Um, maybe on certain characters. Like, I don't know. It's almost the same as like, like with a lot of TV shows, like the prequels or the spinoffs are like not as good as the original. Right. And like, I don't know if I want to ruin it. What if I told you there was a single issue dedicated to the life and story of Captain America? I would read that. You'd read that? Okay. Um, I would read more, uh, this is the first book I really liked, Emma Frost. Oh, she's fucking awesome, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was just like, I remember she was in something else that I read, Hmm. and I was like, oh, she's okay. And in this book, I was just like, yo, I love her. That's strange, because it's written by the same person. Really? Yeah, this is written by Brian Michael Bennis. I think you're referring to that new Avengers story with the Sentry, where she was like his therapist, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same same author, BMB. But yeah, I really liked her in this, and like her part in it. She was really just like pragmatic, right? Like she always like knew what to do next, and then when shit went up, 
she was like, okay, like, now let's go to plan B. Yeah. Her and Wolverine. Wolverine was a really big part of this, which I liked. I like. Maybe just because I associate Wolverine with Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. And I like him. <laughs> that I, I just, I have that association. And I'm just like, I have a soft spot. Did he seem like a hero to you in this? Yes and no. Why not? He, like, definitely seemed flawed. Mm-hmm. And, like, you could tell he had some shit going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was, like, trying to, I think, do the right thing of what he thought was the right thing. Right. Does the significance of him all of a sudden remembering everything that's ever happened to you? Or, sorry, everything that's ever happened to him. Does that do anything for you? Does that move the needle on the character? Does that drive interest in you and the character? Do you want to see what happens next? Yeah, I kind of want to know his background. I love an origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with my limited knowledge of Wolverine, I just know he was, like, experimented on. I got great news for you. After this book <laughs> came out, there was a new Wolverine book called Wolverine Origins. What? Yeah, I know, right? Isn't it? <laughs> it's got your name all over it. Thank God for this podcast. Yeah, I actually don't think that book is very good, but I'm excited to revisit it because that is the point of this podcast. Maybe it will be good now, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. So, just talking about like uh, comic book events, right? Like every summer, every 18 months or whatever, there would just be this giant crossover event where this was like the central storyline and then sort of dissipates throughout all the books, right? Does this make you more interested in the events, knowing that, like, this is how they read? This is how they're presented? Kind of. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it would feel different to me if I had been reading the different storylines leading up to this. Mm-hmm. Because I'm just thinking in my mind, like, TV shows, when they do crossover events, you kind of have to know what's going on in each of the shows that is part of it. What's great is I know you're not just talking about, like, the Crisis on Infinite Earth events from, like, the oh, DC, shows, DC shows. I know you're talking about, like, Chicago Med, Chicago PD. That and, like, Law and Order SVU and Chicago PD did a crossover. Like, there's, like, a lot of... I've been experiencing a lot of crossovers. Yeah, you're talking about... You've been watching CSI Miami recently? Yeah, they did a bunch <laughs> of crossovers. FBI did a bunch of crossovers. Um, and so it's, like, interesting to me. And sometimes... Like, the crossover is really good, and I'll try and watch the, the one of the other shows that was part of it, and I'm just like, I can't get into this. <laughs> I think this book is really special because nothing really significant to the outcome of this story happens in a tie-in. And so, like, the Peter Parker, House of Spider-Man, House of M book, that was literally just about his life, and I think, because he, he claims to be a mutant, in this world and he's like an actual celebrity right like it's like the first appearance of spider-man like he wanted to be a famous wrestler to get money and use all his power whatever he basically does that in house of m and he tells everyone he's a mutant his uncle ben is still alive Mm -hmm. uh, like all this shit and then word gets out that like he's not a mutant whatsoever and so everyone's just like you're a fucking liar dude like this isn't you like we thought you were one thing you're something else and so it's basically just like him trying to like escape and I get that. And, and like, sort of, like, fix his broken life. But, like, like it doesn't matter, because, like, the House of M universe ends at issue 7, halfway through issue 8, whenever it actually comes to a close. And so it's, like, all this shit is so self-contained and so specific to this one story. I like that. I like that, too, man. It gets gets real bad in some later events where, like, it's just, like, oh, well, to, like, really understand what happens here, you should read this book. I'm like, if this is so fucking important, why wasn't this in the main book? Yeah, I I felt that way with like the Avengers movies when they were coming out 
Because I, like, didn't understand the Infinity Stones. Mm-hmm. Which, like, you absolutely knew what was going on, like, the second... I saw one. You yeah. saw one. You knew, like, exactly the importance of it. And it took me until, like, the fourth or fifth big movie to really kind of grasp <laughs> what I, I, was happening. I remember, like, seeing a movie with you and me being like, oh, shit. Like, whispering that, like, out loud in the theater. And then... I was like, did you get that? And you were like, no. I was like, do you want me to explain it to you? And you were like, not really. No. <laughs> I just don't care. I just want to go on my merry little way, understanding what I understand and not understanding what I don't. Right. What did you think of the art in this book? Um, I thought it was too dark. Okay. Not like moody, dark, like the actual visibly col- the dark. The colors were too dark. You know, like, when you're, like, watching a TV, like, a dark show during the daytime, and you're like, I can't see what's on the TV? I felt that way reading a lot of this book of just, like, I wish there was, like, a little more brightness, Mm -hmm. because my eyes can't handle it. Well, it's that we're flipping through the trade paperback right now, and I'm on the page where Colossus is, you know, looking his farm in, in Russia on one side, and Doctor Strange is, like, an actual therapist in the other, which is strange because, like, I would have thought he wanted to be a surgeon, but it looks like he wants to be a therapist. And it's it's strange because, like, half of the Doctor Strange panels have, like, white backgrounds, right, between the uh, between the, the pictures. And then, like, all the Colossus pages have, like, black bars separating the image. Like, it actually does just, like, make the book feel oddly more confined, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I, I think you're right. I think there was, like, a darker color palette used. And it's also, like, digital inking, I think, like, really started to get good around here. And good is subjective. I really like the way this shit looks. Um, I understand this is probably some people's least favorite era of comics ever just because of, like, the way lighting's done, like, on someone's cheekbone. Like, how it just looks a specific way and I'd get why people aren't into it and, like, how some faces look almost, like, plasticky and, like, elastic. Yeah. But uh, character designs, what'd you think? Um... I really liked Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. He looked like a babe. He did. Um, Emma Frost looked like a babe. Emma Frost did look like a babe. I don't understand why all the women have to have huge boobs all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. I think sometimes, too, just some of the characters look alike, and it's hard for me to keep them... Straight. Straight, yeah. not knowing all of the in- intricacies of different characters. So I was just like... There's so many blonde chicks, I can't. <laughs> How do you keep them all straight? Right. Uh, I'm showing you right now the House of M variant cover by Joe Casada, where Scarlet Witch's face is like pixelizing, basically, like in 3D space. Yep. This is one of my favorite covers of all time. I, th- I still think this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. It's pretty. I don't think this is my favorite style. That's fair. That's fair. Sorry to disagree with you. It's okay. Love of my life. Uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I liked the part where she was in someone's brain. Oh, she's in Layla, Layla's brain. Layla Miller's brain, right? Mm-hmm. Did you like Layla Miller as a character? I really did. I felt really bad for her. Mm-hmm. I felt like she was a character you could really sympathize with because she was like a normal, quote unquote, person. Kind of, yeah, that page I really, really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, she had no idea really what was happening to her. Right. But, like, just kind of rolled with it. Going forward, there's, I believe, 198 mutants left. Used to be in, like, the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions. How do they survive? Um, we actually don't know if we ever get an answer for why certain characters were... I mean, like, why certain characters were chosen was because, like... Not gonna like depower Wolverine. He's kind of a big deal for us. 
so they kept like most of them are heroes or villains. Like there's just like few like you're never gonna see like I think there was a place called the Mutopia, which is like a a mutant town in New York City, and I think like that was like decimated. And in fact, the uh, the next saga, I guess, like for X Men at this point, is called Decimation. Ooh. And so Layla Miller becomes like a recurring character for this group called X Factor, which is like a sort of private detective agency. Okay. With like a bunch of other characters, and she's just like, I'm Layla Miller. I know things. Like that's like her like kind of catchphrase. Would you be interested in checking that book out? Are you curious what happens to mutants from here on out now that their order has been reduced by this many magnitudes? I mean, does this continue? Does House is there? There's no. There's, they came out with like a bunch of books that are like prequels where it was like house of m 50s house of m 60s just to like show this specific world and what it was like in different time periods but the house of m thread is like carried through in marvel like the reason i started this podcast when i did is because i think that like they did such a good job of passing the baton between stories okay and so house of m greatly greatly affects the other blockbuster events that happen for like the next six years okay do you have any interest? Like, do you care more or less about the X-Men after reading this? More. More? I'm, like, kind of interested in, like, what happens next. Okay. Would you want to come on those episodes? We could check out X-Factor, see what Layla Miller's up to. We could, uh, I believe Wolverine has, like, a big crossover story with Bucky coming up. Because mm. they crossed paths back in uh, in Wolverine's past when they, uh, he didn't remember, but now he does, and he's a little pissed about it. Sure. Okay. All right, so you are looking forward to the new stuff. Um, that's great. So you would deem this book a success. You're a new reader. You heard WandaVision had something to do with House of M. Yes, from you. Well, from me, but like, <laughs> I, I'm just, you're like a slightly experienced reader. I've got one other person on the show who's like basically never read a comic before. It's Colin. I mean, I, I've read like four. Yeah, but you've read like three more than Colin has. <laughs> so, okay. So, so you're 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 my my medium, I guess, or small to to medium in terms of just like comic book knowledge. I think this was probably my favorite so far. Okay, and because like the stakes were higher. Yeah, it was. I I really enjoyed the story. You know, I'm a sucker for a good plot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very easy to read for me. I read the last like five issues in like one sitting. Yeah. All right. Well, shit. Um, New Avengers, I think, is probably the next book you and I are going to talk about. It's a story called The Collective. And uh, the end of the book here, House of M, says something about, like, energy can't be destroyed. It can't, like, where does it go or whatever, right? Like, when they were talking about, like, showed, like, Earth. Yeah, Uh, energy cannot be created or destroyed. All and all this energy, the energy of thousands of mutants, it didn't all just disappear. I'm asking, where did it go? And... Uh, Sir Isaac Newton's third law of physics, everyone knows that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. So I'm asking, what will be the reaction? And you see like this energy glow off the side of Earth. That story picks up next in New Avengers. Also seems pretty relevant to like climate change nowadays. Yeah, it sure does. Also, um, I was going to say this now. I don't think the next New Avengers story is like very good at all. Like all this energy shit from House of M, I thought it was really underwhelming at the time. Stop. Tainting my... Okay. <laughs> All right, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. My expectations. All right, but uh, we'll be checking out more books, and I'll uh, I'll put together a nice little reading list for you for, for X books. But thank you so much for reading it. I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming back to Short Box Summary. Sorry we didn't get to talk about Pop Punk this time. It's okay. That was really fun, though. Maybe we should just... Like, should I cancel this and just do a movie and music podcast? Is that... By comics, we're only doing movies. 
What's up? No. Should we do a movie podcast? We should probably do a movie podcast. You're seeing so many things for the first time. You just saw all the Indiana Jones movies. Let's just do a podcast that's like culture vulture. I'm going to bleep that out. I don't want people to steal my idea. Thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Until the end. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Internet. Welcome back to Shortbox Summary. Our next guest... You've heard him before on the Spider-Man movie podcast. You've heard him before on the Mask of the Phantasm podcast. But I asked him to read a comic book this time. We've got Colin. Colin, welcome back to Short Box Summary, man. Really appreciate it. Great to be here. Happy to be here for a comic issue uh, episode as well, too. I asked you to read this book because I know how much you love movies. I know how much we love movies. I know how much we love talking about them. And this was the first time in my comic reading experience that I felt like a comic was a movie so Colin this is your first time checking out House of M this is one of like the first I'd say 10 comic books you've ever read in your entire life probably right yeah that's a fair assessment all right uh what'd you think man House of M how'd you feel I mean I really liked it from every the story uh the artwork like just the the implications of the universe outside of this comic like uh before whatever happened before whatever happens after and uh, seeing some shared elements in some of the movies that we have seen, like specifically mm-hmm. X-Men Last Stand, I felt like, kind of okay. parallels the story to a degree. Um, so it was really interesting to see how like it played out. I've, I've actually heard of it before outside of you as well, as people, other comic lovers have said that this is one of like the greatest Marvel stories. So I was glad to finally get to read it. That's awesome, man. Uh, that's cool that you've heard about it from other people besides me, because I know I never shut the fuck up about comics, so I'm glad that there's other people in your life who also won't <laughs> shut up about them either. Um, oh, let, I mean, hey. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about this world. So, in this story, mutants are no longer the minority, they're the majority, and humans are the endangered species. How fucking cool is that? I just I want to take a second just to think about it because like it seems like such a small change, right? But this is the first yeah. time this is the first time mutants have ever won anything in their entire lives ever. What did you think of the world? And because I'm bringing this up because you found a a, a a cache of these comics with all the tie-ins in like a specific reading order. And like you mentioned, you were actually curious about reading some of these follow-up books. So what about the world drew you in? Uh, well, it was, I was wondering how the hierarchy was working because they do mention it a few times. I mean, at the beginning of every issue, it's like the rundown is this is now a world run by mutants and I was wondering how treat, uh, humans or sapiens were being treated. Mm-hmm. And there's like two or three panels in one of the issues about, uh, I think that like they have a girl, like a couple mutants are like, yeah, set her clothes on fire. And like, she's just kind of like being like bullies, like outside of a 7-Eleven type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that if, even with roles reversed, that that's still how people treat other people. Like <laughs> mutants bullying humans like in stupid shitty ways yeah kind of a kind of a cynical take on the marvel universe right yeah pretty much but uh no i mean it's it's very interesting uh especially because these mutants have always fought to protect the humans who mm-hmm. or at least the good the good mutants have mm-hmm. uh who are scared of them and now that they are like the majority species it's uh i'd be interested to see how that plays out beyond this story 
Very cool. Did you feel like this was like we talked about the summer blockbuster thing already, but I, I guess you're new to comedy. Like, was this a good entry point? Like when I, th I think we first talked about this story years ago when WandaVision was coming out. Right. And just like, oh, yeah, like it's kind of sort of based loosely on, on this story, I guess. And so this was a book that started selling really well again because people were saying it's similar to WandaVision. But uh, you, you took a few years to come around to. Is this a good entry point? Did you feel satisfied, I guess, with like the, the world as it was presented in the beginning, the world as it was presented with this big upheaval, this huge change, and then the world after? Oh, yeah. And honestly, the very beginning of the whole story, when they talk about what happened prior to House of M and the death of some of the Avengers made me really want to read that mm -hmm. because I want to know what led to this moment, especially having seen uh, the Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, where it, in a way is Wanda kind of going off the deep end a little bit and needing right. to be contained. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't feel terribly lost. They introduced characters in a good way. Uh, plenty of them that I've seen before growing up with the X-Men show and the movies. Um, I, I I don't think like even when Rogue is talking and they have her accent down, I was like, I right, I know who that is. I don't need to like someone doesn't have to be like, hey Rogue, could you grab me a slice of that pizza or whatever? Right. <laughs> like it just I I knew who it was and the artist was doing a great job like showing off everybody in their costumes, made it easy to understand. So yeah, as a jumping in point, it's a great solid story that first off made me want to read more like especially what happened before this but also i wasn't in the weeds and i mean i you know i went through the first four issues like immediately i was texting you about it and mm -hmm. i was like i can't really put this down right now it's such a good story really quick when rogue was talking did you immediately hear like the 1994 animated series rogue like sugar yeah sugar yeah <laughs> that was that stood out so much so, yeah, yeah, no, no, Anna Paquin. yeah, no offense to Anna Paquin whatsoever, but um, that's not what Rogue sounds like. <laughs> exactly. No. So, <laughs> uh, what if I told you that this was, I guess, not the start, because I, I guess it really did start with Avengers Disassembled, which is why that's like the second story or first story we ever talked about on this podcast. But if there was like a continuous plot thread where the pieces of the story that were put down at the end of this book were picked up uh, immediately with other books. And then it was like a baton that was being carried through Civil War, through an event called World War Hulk, kind of through an event called Annihilation also, through an event called Secret Invasion, and then through an event called Siege. Like there's basically just like a, a six-year roadmap where everything was so tightly synergistic and organized that it was all these different stories, but really felt like one grander story being told all at once. Is that something that you find interesting or intimidating as a as a new reader? I mean, it's essentially you're describing the MCU, right? Like, it started with Iron Man and we got those individual movies. I think, the, what, the first four or five Marvel movies were borderline individual stories with, like, a really thin string of Nick Fury attaching them to each mm -hmm. other. And now here we are, like, uh, almost two decades later, and they're all attached. And same with the TV shows. So it's, I think the answer to your question is a little bit of both. Like it's really cool to see payoffs for things or for characters years or issues later, stories later kind of deal. But at the same time, it's like, how much do I need to like 
know going into this. So I have to have already in my brain just so I don't like, oh, that's right. Captain America did do that thing 40 years ago in the story. I, I got it, got it. So, uh, but that's, a, that's coming from a new reader. Um, and I'd say that the daunting part definitely is nowhere even close to like the interest. Gotcha. There was a whole bunch of familiar characters in this book. Or were there any new characters that jumped out to you? Like anyone you're just like, oh, fuck, that's cool what that person just did. Uh, I think when they, whenever they reference some of the new Avengers, like the younger group, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I'm pretty sure, I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure they all have their names said. And I was like, all right, Nightcrawler, got it. And like, I think Jubilee is in there, Rogue, like... I knew pretty much everybody. There may have been like one or two who I didn't necessarily recognize right away. Um, but also I, I come from the movie world where the Avengers to me were different than what it sounds like the original Avengers were in the comics. Yeah, for sure. I get that was a leading question. I was really just hoping you'd say Emma Frost because I don't think she's had any real portrait. Like, right, she was in first class. She's in Origins. Oh, first class, first class. First yeah. class. Yeah, but like, no offense to January Jones, she didn't really do a lot. She, she that was, I don't think that was Emma Frost. I think that was just like a cold, psychic, blonde lady. You know? Yeah, I think I've in like doing Wikipedia deep dives on movies, and then like, oh, who's that character? I know they mentioned them in, in passing, and then I'll like click on their name and take me to their page. So I'd read about her before, and it, yeah, she's always been good, right? Mm-hmm. Ish. Yeah, Not because I'm okay okay um yeah i just she i knew who she was but yeah i guess i didn't know her background so i only knew who she was from the uh what little i've read on wikipedia and what first class showed in the comics she was part of the party responsible for turning gene gray phoenix into the dark phoenix so like her her actions in in the comics she like i think blew up a sun to ascending world and killed like at least at least like four billion people (laughs) when when gene did that so not not always the best in the comics, you know. No. But hey, all we can do is, is hope to do better than we did the day before, right? Exactly. That's, that's one foot in front of the other. That's right. Um <clears throat> did this feel like a like a stereotypical comic to you, like what you were expecting? This is this what you thought you were gonna get when I asked you to read a story? Um I think so. Uh yeah. I have like you, you pointed out, I haven't read a whole lot of comics uh, the most of which i've read have been sin city based mm-hmm. which is generally a different feel than this um right. i mean these kind of uh, like an ongoing story even uh house on serious earth um it's a lot of like internal diet like pages and pages of him like questioning himself or flashbacks to like insanity moments um uh, but this was this just was like a story start to mm-hmm. finish. And uh, I, that's kind of why I didn't feel too daunted by it. Cause I like, I wasn't lost in what was happening. I didn't ever go back. And I was like, wait, wait, now they're talking about someone. I don't who, what, who is this character? Right. Um, but yeah, no, I thought it read pretty, pretty well straightforward. Like a, like what I would think a comic is. Okay. I wasn't sure. Like, I just like, you know, the stereotype of comics, especially when we were growing up, like even when we were in high school, like I was, I wasn't like ostracized because I read comics, but I was definitely the only person in my high school who read comics. And so I was like, cause they had just like a, Oh, like that's like that nerdy shit. And I remember reading this and being like, I don't think this is like, especially nerdy. Like, I think this is like fucking cool and like badass and, and like, just like a really intense, deep story. 
And I, I, mean, I, yeah, I, I this was yeah. like the turning point, I feel, of like when comics were less sort of up their own ass and more trying to be like other mediums, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good way to kind of watch a story unfold. Mm-hmm. When you read a book, you have to create the imagery yourself and then live, put yourself in that world. And sometimes that can be hard to do. Uh, you just can't grasp it or maybe you're just not thrilled with what you've come up with. But when someone's got it on the page in front of you, it's just, I mean, I, I kind of tell that people now because I don't read a lot of nonfiction. I still like reading fiction because I get to world build and like just be somewhere that doesn't actually exist. And right. it seems a lot cooler to me than reading about like economics or whatever. The hell. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Final question. Did you see the twist coming at the end where it wasn't Magneto who was doing this? It was uh, Pietro who was pulling the strings behind Wanda. See uh, is a strong word. Um, I, it, he was, I mean, Magneto never really like seemed to push Wanda. Like if anything, he was almost, he was kind of agreeing with the, the Avengers like thought process of mm-hmm. like when he and Pietro were having that little argument Pietro's like I just came from Avengers Tower they're gonna kill her and he's like yeah but maybe is that so bad mm-hmm. like Magneto and then all of a sudden the world changes and they're like Magneto must have done this and I think as soon as that happened I was like well did he though he didn't really seem like he was gunning for this sort of outcome and again having not read prior to this and my only knowledge of Magneto being the 93 show and the movies with, with Ian McKellen, I had no idea that he had like waged this war and lost and now seemed to be like kind of a broken version of himself. Because mm. Magneto I'm used to is always kind of hellbent on taking over the world and being like ruling humans. Right. But he didn't even like want that now. Um, I, I think Pietro kind of showed his cards at the beginning of the story that like he was going to do something bad. And then he also isn't in like a lot of the issues. He kind of shows back up again. Um, so it didn't really hit like a cliffhanger or a twist as much. Cause I was just like, ah, I mean, I don't know who to think about it mm-hmm. doing this. I thought maybe it was Xavier in this new world that they had, she had created and they couldn't find Xavier's uh, body in, in the grave that maybe he had switched somehow and he was the villain. And he was pulling the strings. Right. So, um, but yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't to me. One final thing, I guess, follow up I want to bring up with you. I didn't realize this until I was reading this book 20 years late, 19 years after it came out when I first read it. Like, did you understand that like Magneto actually killed Quicksilver in this book? It was, I had to reread those panels a few times. I was confused because they both kind of look similar when drawn from afar. And I think since Magneto's in the air, mm-hmm. but he was just kind of like a black suitish blob with silver hair. Right. It kind of <laughs> looks like, and then they were doing close-ups of the two of them yelling at each other and it was like, like eye close-ups. And mm-hmm. I was just like, well, who, which one of them is. And then I guess it was Magneto hurling metal things. Yeah. So that's when I was like, all right, that's gotta be Magneto. Yeah. I did. I, See, I just never noticed that until this year. And like, I feel like a fucking idiot because I've definitely reread this book a bunch over the years. Like anytime like a new event would come out, I'd like sit down and like read all the old events, like and just treat them like sequels to each other. And this is the first time I was just like, fuck, he squished him. He pancaked his ass under that Sentinel. And then Wanda just came through and just like brought him back because she can fucking do that because she's 
God or whatever. Um, yeah, God, I really like this book, man. I know it's got flaws, but uh, I just think it's cool. I love that we just go into this crazy, weird, adjacent parallel universe for a second and then just bounce right out, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing lingers too long. I, I was talking about the tie-ins. I think that if you're curious about what's going on, you should absolutely check them out. But again, like this world is kind of done with for now. So like it maybe was like a, you had to be there kind of thing when like, these were like the you know majority of books that were coming out at the time to like really, oh. really get immersed into it. But like, it is interesting just to see like, okay, what is this ideal world like for everyone? I, I mean, I think it's almost better that it's uh, already been concluded because now mm-hmm. I don't have to sit and wait for, something else to come out and continue the story i can like read it in one concise like ball of the whole thing going on i you know what i am interested in though is when they all get flashed into the no mutant world mm-hmm. and um uh nightcrawler finds wolverine and he doesn't have he's not he's not wolverine anymore really there's one panel where he's like i remember everything i remember where i was born where i was from but then that's it. And I really want to know, because all we got was fucking X-Men Origins. Which... Right. Not, <laughs> not not the best. God, that trailer got me so fucking hyped in <laughs> that yeah. movie. I think like that and like Watchmen were like the last two. I was like, I don't need to go to midnight premieres anymore. Like, it's fine. No. I'll, I'll catch them the next Friday. It's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I, I do want to know that story because I, you know, we, uh, everybody knows that Wolverine is like ancient mm-hmm. compared to everybody else. He's older than Steve Rogers. And so what is that comics take on it? Like, what did he do leading up to this point in time? Like how many times has he died? Where was he born? He's can- Canadian or is that just made yeah. up for the movie? No, he's okay. Canadian. All right, cool. All right. You um, sound like a noob talking. About no, you're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> it's just, it's like oh it's canadian right it's like yeah but he's played by an australian and he has an american accent it's like all right yeah i guess yeah um there is a new wolverine series that comes out around this time called wolverine origins i don't think it's like especially good but there is a pretty fun wolverine story like the ongoing book called i think it's called the origins and endings and so i'll invite you back on to uh to cover that book for sure all right that'd be cool <sighs> but it makes sense um that like i I was reading a bunch of these books, but I wasn't reading all of them because as we talked about previously, we were pretty busy that summer at the movies. There was there was yeah. a lot going on to be excited about in 05, in addition to House of M. Also, I'm probably going to have you on once we get to like the end of the year in terms of comics so we can talk about the video games of 2005 because holy shit, what a year for that too. Oh boy, what came out in 2005? I think the big one was Halo 2. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wow, that was that long ago? I think so. Unless that was unless, unless that was uh, 2004. Oh fuck! It's 2004. Man, I don't even know what came out in 2005. Then fuck. We're gonna we're really gonna have to do an episode to yeah, deep, dive. deep we, dive. We got we got to get to the bottom of this. Colin, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me read it. I I wouldn't have otherwise, and it was a good read, good story. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to take the summer off from reading comics. So I think I'm gonna do a bunch of movie episodes in a row. Hell yeah. Sorry, not for, not take the summer off from reading comics. I want to read comics. I just don't want to read this era of comics. I want to catch up on current books. So, um, yeah, get ready. It's going to get weird. I'm going to talk about Mystery Men. going to talk about probably The Phantom because you and Aaron wouldn't shut the fuck up about it during the Leave Extraordinary Gentleman episode. Maybe even Men in Black. That's technically a comic movie. So, 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so get ready for things to get weird this summer as I take a, a little mini vacation. Tom, All right. Sounds good. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. And uh, talk to you soon. Talk to you later, buddy.